All right, so I just want to get your life story. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? <laughs> so when and where were you born? I was born on December 13th, 1985 in Seoul, Korea. And where, where are your parents from Korea too? Yes, parents my parents are, um, are from Korea, which is uh, also where I grew up. Um, How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was 12. You know, it's, it's bad like that I... Like it comes, it's now been long enough that I have to actually think, think about, about it. it. You know, it's like I was 12, give or take a year. Mm -hmm. Like it could have been 11, it could have been 13, but I'm fairly sure I was 12. When you look back, that's gonna be great for the audio. I know. You're JoJo in the background, that's Sue Park's crying baby. Our crying baby. <laughs> Our communal baby. Our communal baby, and here comes her father. Um, when you think about your life, do you think about like, is it, are those two separate chapters of existence, almost like two separate lives or does it all seem seamless, kind of like a seamless memory? Mm, I would say that they feel, well, it's a it's a tough question because it's really something in between, right? Like they feel like distinct chapters, but because I am still the same person, mm -hmm. like there's gonna be a level of coherence to it. And then actually, Liz, my mother-in-law, just asked me this similar question when she was visiting. Like mm -hmm. two was it last week or two weeks ago? Whenever last it was week, that right? she was last week. Last week. Oh my god, has we it saw been? her like four days ago. Oh my god, you're chapters. right. Holy moly. It does seem like a month ago. I was like, you know, when she was here, like, a, you know, however many we weeks ago. We saw her on Monday. Now. What's today, Saturday? Yeah, no, today's, today's Friday. We have like today's zero Friday? concept of time anymore. <laughs> we saw her three Friday. days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, when we saw her like two or three weeks ago. Uh, or, you know, when we saw her four days ago or whatever. She asked, I don't even know why we were talking about this, but we were talking about, uh, oh, she was asking me, uh, like, what it feels like to be, like, first generation, and I was telling her, I'm not first generation, Liz, like, I wasn't born in this JoJo's first generation. Right, and I, I kept saying, like, and she was like, yeah, but you're so... Americanized. I'm like, that doesn't matter. Like, I wasn't born in this country. Like, I am a zero generation. Uh -huh. And there's no amount of Americanization that could make me first generation. Uh-huh. Um, I do know her point. I do understand her point. Yeah. <laughs> because I know a lot of people from different countries that live in America that weren't born in America. I know a good amount of people. And you are... Let me... I may be missing, you know, one or two people. No, I, I really don't think I am. You are the most American. <laughs> I don't even know if Americans, right, works that, you know, that conjures images of, yeah. like, uh, to me, American conjures images of, like, I don't know, some Trump guy now. Yeah. You're the most, I, I, I don't know. You, you have no signs that you were born in a different country whatsoever. Yeah. Zero accent. Your, your, I don't know, your personality is, I don't know, feels, I don't know, very, like, big and powerful. Like, I would think of, like, America being stereotypically right. You seem like, 
an American. I don't know. You don't. There's nothing go ask foreign a, go about ask you. Ask a Republican if I look like I represent. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. <laughs> but no, I remember. I didn't know you were born. I knew you were born in Korea, but I had always just assumed that you had must have moved here like as soon as you were born. Yeah. That's what my assumption always was. Yeah. And that was kind of her point. It's it's exactly along those lines. And she was saying. You know, now that you've been here for so long, like, but it's not even that so even, long. Like, That's the crazy part. You're born. Right you came when you're twelve. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, when you're a twelve-year-old, you're like a person. Like, you've had experiences. Right. You have memories. You've developed opinions and thoughts about yeah. reality. You've made relationships, like voluntary no, totally. relationships. Yeah. You've potentially gotten rid of relationships voluntarily. Yeah. Like, if I had a social circle. 12 years old <laughs> yeah. is like, if we were cave people, it would be time for you to have a kid. Oh, like, a 12-year-old is an established human, you know? Yeah. That's why I asked the question, like, does it seem like two separate lives? Because yeah. it's so hard for me to think of you as, like, a Korean middle schooler. <laughs> and, like, Korea, speaking total Korean... I don't know. I don't know anything about like Korean culture or anything, but just you know, being surrounded by other Koreans, right. I think of you so as. I think of you as more emblematic of what it means to be like an Ameri- a successful American adult, much more so than I am. When I think of like, what does it mean to be a successful American adult? You know, and I think of you, and I'm like, you know, someone like Sue and her husband Lucas, like they're as, not live American dream sounds very like trite or whatever, but you know, you guys are successful, established, kind of like pushing humanity forward. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's very odd for me yeah. to think of you as an, an, a Korean immigrant. Yeah. Anyway, so what was childhood like in Korea? Or if you want to say anything else about my room. No, I, I just think it's interesting that that was your, uh, that was the lead in because uh, it's like a deja vu moment. Like I just had this conversation With, and, yeah. I, yeah, and I told her kind of the same thing that, you know, it's hard for me to think of them as really neither either completely separate chapters or a coherent chapter Mm -hmm. because as you said when you're 12 you've already formed opinions formed Mm -hmm. relationships Mm -hmm. and you already have a pretty good sense of self Mm -hmm. and that's something that will always stay with me so i can't say that that was a completely independent chapter of my life Uh right because Things that I experienced then are things that continue to shape who I am. Exactly, yeah. But at the same time, they also feel very separate and distinct because not just the outward differences, like the language or the people, but because we basically wrapped up our life and livelihood and picked up our lives and moved to a different country. So, like, there's, like, a certain level of finality that came with it. Uh-huh. So it's, you know, it's kind of an in-between space. Yeah, your transition to... And all of this, I kind of... I've known you for... Seven? Six or seven years? 2013 or 14 is when I met you. That sounds about right. 2013. I don't even remember the first time we met, honestly. I do. I think I, I, think I do. In the uh, UChicago library. <clears throat> I believe in the basement. I think it was study. So just quick. Well, I'll give a little intro before this, but... Well, let's just do the intro now. So I know Sue because Sue is my good buddy Lucas's wife. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I now live with them in their backyard working as a 
their nanny for their soon-to-be 20-month-old daughter. Um, so Lucas and I talked together, Sue's husband Lucas and I talked together in Phoenix, and we were friends in Phoenix, but towards the end of our, our last year together, we were there for three years, our last year together, and particularly towards the end of our last year together, we started becoming good friends. But like my first year teaching, I didn't really know Lucas at all. Second year teaching, started hanging out with him a little bit. Third year teaching, started to become like good friends with him. But really, <clears throat> you know, I ended up being in like Lucas's wedding. And I think that transition to like, from good friend to like groomsman quality level friend or whatever. Honestly, I think that happened when y'all were at Chicago. You Chicago Law School. When y'all yeah. met in law school at like Chicago. Like post-TFA. Post-TFA. Yeah. I would come, my sister lives in Chicago with her nieces and I'm always up, th I'm up there multiple times a year, like, you know, anywhere from three to five times a year. And so every time I go up there, I always make an uh, effort to go see, at least spend the day. I think I'd always spend the night, at least spend one night at Luke's place in Chicago just to catch up and shoot shit and escape from being trapped in the suburbs of Chicago. And then y'all were dating at the time, that's when I met you. And I think the first time we met was, we would, I think y'all were just meeting up to go study at the U Chicago library. Uh, oh, you. it was like spring quarter. It was my my last quarter in law school. Yeah, yeah, and it must have been. Yeah, I went there multiple times. So I don't remember exactly what it was, and it's all kind of blurry to me because yeah, then there was a time you left. Yeah, I was gone. You met Lucas as a third. He was first year, you were third year. Yeah. So you, yeah, so y'all weren't y'all didn't overlap very much, and so I continued coming back yeah. to visit Lucas at U Chicago, and you were no longer there. So I have all these, we went to the library a bunch, so they're all like on top of each other, exactly when it was, whether it was snowing outside or not. I don't remember the exact scene of our first encounter, but I'm pretty sure it was in the Chicago library. Okay, And that I remember thinking, and uh, like I knew of you, obviously, and then when you, I, uh, I really fell for you, Sue, was when uh, I, you know, I, my life is always up in the air, and so Lucas would go study at the Chicago library, and so I would sit with him and just like, get my life together. It was like one of the few times where I was not a ton of time where I take just separately sit and like, I don't know, do paperwork applications type things. But <laughs> when Lucas would go study, I'm like, okay, this is a perfect time for me to just do whatever. And I remember I would sit next to him and I think you were there at the time and I applied to Peace Corps. I remember one time we just got in and then another time I had an interview for another job in Honduras. And it was in Chicago, the interview was in Chicago and we were at the Chicago library. And I remember talking, I'm like, okay, this interview's in X location in Chicago. How do I get there? And you were just like, just take my car. And I was like, whoa, that is super nice. I was like, this chick is awesome. And then I remember, yeah, that was that. The whole time I remember driving, I was like, wow, I can't believe she just let me take a car. I think that might have been the first time I met you, honestly. Uh -uh. I don't re recall this incident, but this sounds pretty consistent with something, something that I would this do. This wasn't a different Sioux Park. <laughs> No, the black Prius. Yeah, this yeah. sounds... I drove it far, too. It was like a 45-minute drive. Yeah, this, this, nothing about this is surprising. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, anyway, no. Well, it's also like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to come back. Like, why Why wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, dude, a lot of people don't really think like that. I don't, I don't want to like quantify anything, but there's plenty of people that would have just been like, if I were asking how to get to X location... There's a segment of the population that would have been like, dude, I don't know, or like, you know. Look it up on Google exactly, Maps. Exactly, exactly. And there's a segment, which, yeah, true. There's a segment of the population, you'd be like, oh, dude, you do this, this, and this. Hey, take my Metro card, you know. 
or there's you know there's levels of generosity or I don't know compassion or interest. And I know I'm taking a small anecdote and amplifying it to a broader point, but that kind of stuff resonates with me. And then there's a segment of the population like, dude, it's gonna take you an hour and a half. Like why even bother? Switchy train, just take my car. Oh, <laughs> there's that segment of the population, and that's soup. That I you know that kind of stuff really resonates with me. I would think the same. Honestly, it was little things like that when I used to go visit Lucas too. Like I remember one time where I would go visit Lucas. I went to visit Lucas and I had to go back on the train. And like, the, you know, there's no choice there. It's just me and Lucas. I have to train, take the train back up to Chicago suburbs. And that's like two and a half hours that oh. whole trip. And I broke my headphones. And, uh, and I remember I was leaving the apartment. I was like, oh, shit, I broke my headphones. Oh, well. And then Lucas runs to his room. He's like, no, dude, take my headphones. Like just little stuff like that, you know? And it's like, to me, it was a big deal. Those are like iPhone headphones. Back in the day, the corded iPhone headphones, these things are expensive, they're like 30, 40 bucks. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, just take them. I, you know, I have another pair. I was like, dude, thank you. You know, so little things like that. This, those, when things like that happen to me, I'm like, these are people I need to keep in my life. Um, so anyway, I just rambled a lot about your life story. <laughs> no, it's, it's good though, this is, this is, fun because I haven't really thought about any of that in yeah, you like know, it's, several years honestly like, yeah. I, I haven't even thought about law school in, some, in, in, in a few years it feels like I mean you you heard me like I can't even remember what happened four days ago <laughs> like, I, like how am I supposed to know what happened what year did I graduate from law school 2014 it's not that long ago but it just feels like just Ages and ages uh-huh. ago. Yeah, you've. Uh, we'll talk about several chapters. You know, we'll get into. We'll, I want to get back to like the chronology of your life story, yeah. but like, you know, you're an entirely separate chapter of life now as a new, a new mother. It's you know, totally different uh, universe of existence. Uh, before we get into that, so tell me, what was your childhood childhood like in Korea? What do you remember about your childhood in Korea? So tell us, like, who you li- who did you grow up with? Tell us just quick, like, overview of your family structure, nuclear family structure. So I grew up with uh, in a house with a mom and a dad, uh, and I have a younger brother who is about three years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, Seoul is a pretty small city. It's like a small, big city uh-huh. uh, where. My extended family all lived in Seoul, so both sets of grandparents uh, who are all very present in my life. Um, My mom is the oldest of three, and both her siblings and their families uh, were all in uh, Korea. My My dad has one younger brother. He was the only one who wasn't super present uh, when I was growing up because he lived in Australia with his family. Um, But growing up, I mean, we were, we all kind of lived close to each other. Uh So even though um, it's not like we lived in a multi-generational home or anything, like we only live with just, you know, like our immediate family. But like every weekend I would see either set of grandparents if not both uh, and um, yeah like I just I grew up in a, a situation where we were very in tune with our extended family 
Um, what? Well, you, could you put a rough number on like how many family members you were in contact with on a regular basis? Yeah, it's not a ton because here's the grandparents, thing, aunts, uncles, cousins type deal. Yeah, the the thing though is that we all come from a very small family. Okay. At least by the time that it was my parents' generation. So I think like my grandparents' generation, like they were like, you know, 10 kids or however many kids people were having those days. But by the time that my parents' generation came about in my family, like they're, like my mom is just one of three and my dad's just one of two. Um, each of those sets <laughs> of like aunt or uncle, like they each only had two kids. So I mean, I only have six first cousins and I am the oldest of all of them. The next closest one in age is actually my own brother. Okay. So it was like me and then my brother, brother. who is three years younger. Next That's is... That's already a big gap for a kid. Right. Three is kind of like the transition. Right. Like, there. I mean... So it wasn't like any of these pe- these cousins, brothers were like peers. You know? No. No, I didn't have any peer cousins. Uh, my... The next one in age uh, was uh, is my cousin who grew up in Australia, so I never okay. really saw her that yeah. much. And the one after that is like we're moving into the 90s, like kids right. were born in the 90s, <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah. at that point, like, what am I? You're more I, of an aunt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was more of like the not like the babysitter per se, but like yeah. I was the one who was like stuck at the kids table for way too long <laughs> you know what I mean like, around, like what the hell yeah it's just like oh <laughs> me and like literal children uh-huh. uh, and he- here I am like this is zero fun for me but I can't jo- join the because <laughs> I'm like the next generation so I was like the super old kid at the kids table mm-hmm. like totally bored and like I don't want to this is no fun for me you know, um, so like even though we had a bunch of contact, you know, it's not like there were a ton of family around all the time because we were all such independently small families. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess the other thing that I <coughs> neglected to mention is that my dad worked a lot when I was growing up. Um, my mom, uh, my parents are really young. So my mom had me when she was 24. Okay. And my dad is four years older. So he was 20, only 28. 20, um, I mean, that's pretty standard practice where I come from. Right. It's a little, little old. <laughs> I mean, in, in the 80s in Korea, I think that was fairly right. standard-ish. Too. Yeah. Um, what was maybe not as standard was that my mom was in grad school at the time. Okay. And then she actually dropped out of grad school. When she got pregnant? When she got pregnant. Um, What was she studying, remember? Art. Art. She was like a visual arts major in college and then she went to grad school for to like continue like get her masters or uh-huh. whatever in um, visual arts uh-huh. with the eventual goal of being like you know working in the gallery scene basically gotcha. okay. like that would have been like the pipe dream I guess right 
Um, but when she got pregnant with me, she dropped out of school uh, and became a full-time mom. And this is like the crazy part when I think about it. Like she was 23, 24 at the time. Like, like uh, when I think about what I was doing at You're 23. You were TFA right at the time? Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, but like, I felt so lost and I mean, I still felt like a overgrown child. Yeah. I mean, I still have moments when I feel like that and I'm 34 now. Yeah, I was thinking that when I was asking the question about being 12, like, I think back to myself being 12, and I'm like, yeah, it's me. Yeah. I was the same guy, you know, in algebra class. Yeah. Like, it feels, it's the same thing we're talking about with your mother-in-law, right? It feels, it does feel like 20 years ago, but it also feels like yesterday. Like, like I feel like that same kid, like, damn, I want to get the hell out of this desk. <laughs> I don't know how to listen to this teacher right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, 24 is young now, okay? Yeah, so my mom became a full-time uh, like stay-at-home mom um, and my dad um, at the time had transitioned he was uh, like an adjunct professor uh, in econ mm-hmm. um, and he like really loved doing it that was like in his 20s uh, and then you said at the time transitioned what, do you, what did that mean so he was at the time your mom was pregnant Yeah, I think around that time, um, he had, uh, he more or less got pulled into the family business. So he gave up, like, the career in academia Uh um, and then transitioned into, like, the family business Uh uh, role. So I think that, like, there were, like, multiple, I guess, career and whatever changes and while my mom became a full-time um, at home, my dad like dove into the family business mm-hmm. and was like was very much this stereotypical uh, like working Asian man, mm-hmm. like leave the house at five six in the morning, come home at like one or two in the morning, Jeez. like every day. You know? And what was the family business and what was his role? Um, the family business was in textiles. Okay. Um, and like the details of that is like a little hazy for me because I was so little and it's not like they were cluing me. In yeah, you're stuck at the kids table. Yeah, like in all the business and it was very much like that is like adult business. Right. Um, and I don't honestly no like at what level he started uh-huh. um, but eventually he like kind of climbed up right. but like he didn't start out as like president of the company right exactly he probably also didn't start off on like the assembly line problem he was probably not like you know on the male staff you know <laughs> or, like whatever they probably did, they probably did not have a male but like whatever is like right. the Korean, Korean equivalent of like the, you know exactly like some kind of an assembly line stitching stuff. together the right like it was not that seamstress yeah like he was probably he probably started out as like some kind of a leadership role of some sort just right. not like all the way up right um, but then eventually he's in the prime, the like captain seat. Eventually, whatever, eventually, by the time that I was, I guess like in 
elementary school. But this is like the other weird part is it's so foreign for me to talk about it like like this because it's uh, like when I think about how old my parents were at all these stages in life like in my memory like they were like super old and like super advanced so it makes sense that like they would have been on in these positions and they would have like accomplished these things and then I actually think about how old they were and contextualize it in terms of like my life now and what like life is like for my peers yeah. and it's like they were children but totally. all of these things happened mm-hmm. you know like they're basically like my age now yeah. you know what like because my we I moved we moved when I was 12 well, my mom is 24 years yeah 24 years older than Same. I am yeah so like that's like me picking up my life in two years and like moving to a different country, like away from all my family and like not being able to see them. Yeah. So and tell as much so as you want crazy. about that. It wasn't like that from what I understand, the transition or the move to the US wasn't some like long term plan that was slowly being executed. It was a little abrupt, right? Well it's it's uh Yes and no. Um, I think it was abrupt in the sense that it happened a lot earlier than anticipated, uh-huh. and um, and it didn't happen under the circumstances that was planned. Uh-huh. But uh, no, in the sense that it wasn't like a completely foreign idea, okay. uh, like the immigration, the concept of immigration. So, like to back up, I think. The concept of immigration itself was like something that I don't want to say it was like in book, but something that a lot of like kind of high society Koreans thought about. It's like weird to describe my family as high society, uh-huh. but you know we were like very upper middle class, uh-huh. upper class in um, living in Korea. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was kind of like the eventual goal for a lot of like the boomer generation that uh-huh. like eventually they want to send their kids to um, some kind of school yeah. in in the states. Okay. Um, and if that is the eventual goal, um, wouldn't it be better if the family is able to do it to go earlier, like? in high school or something Uh, so like the kids have time to acclimate Mm -hmm. and like become Americanized Uh or or whatever so that transition into college isn't like this abrupt thing so the concept of immigration had kind of been in the background and you were aware of that as a kid a little little bit or Um, were you at least aware of like the con do you remember having a concept in like uh elementary middle school of going to college and then that college being in the United States yes Okay. so not really the former as in like did I have a concept of immigration but the latter where I had an idea that it was within the realm of possibilities that, that you're gonna like, go to college I was going to go to like I was going to go to Harvard right you know or like whatever mm-hmm. um, you remember thinking about that as a kid in yeah. Korea yeah. like what Harvard was yeah okay cool um but 
to kind of go back, uh, the concept of, of immigration was there, but the timing was abrupt, mm-hmm. as, as you described, because it came um, at the time that my dad's family business collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then it, like, there was, you know, basically took us into not like financial ruin because we are still well off and like we're we're fine but right but um a point where uh, like he kind of lost everything that he had built right um like his entirety of 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 his life more or less um and then got to a point where it was going to be really difficult for him to have uh a level of like financial independence mm-hmm. um, to kind of start over mm-hmm. because Korean society is very small uh, and also when your capital is all gone mm-hmm. more or less and if your credit is ruined like well, how do you restart right and like if my dad's financial status becomes that way like there was nobody else it's not like my mom all of a sudden was gonna like pick up the torch and run with it you know Um, it's not like I was gonna do that or my brother was gonna do that like it was at a point where um, like his financial freeze in a way Mm -hmm. meant our entire family's financial freeze Um, so like why like we need a fresh fresh start start. Um, and we were already kind of thinking about this so let's just get out of here and just you know jump in Uh and you know it's weird to think about because I didn't really understand all that at the time Uh Um, and there are parts of it that I still don't understand because I think there are parts of the story that I still don't fully know uh-huh. from my parents because uh-huh. uh, it's also like a part of very painful personal history mm-hmm. for them and for better or worse I don't my curiosity isn't great enough for me to poke it I understand completely you yeah. know yeah. um Maybe eventually I'll like get there, or maybe eventually they'll get to a point where they're gonna want to share. Mm-hmm. But like I know enough of, of kind of how that went down to know that like I'm not gonna touch that. Dig. Right, exactly. Dig any more than like I pick the scab. Exactly. Off. Like it's not worth it for me. Like I don't. Yeah, exactly what I said. Like my curiosity it doesn't outweigh my concern. Right. For what that would make them feel right you know yeah um so yeah that's kind of a lot of background i guess for how we ended up here and and you know to uh, as i said like i don't i didn't really realize all of this that mm-hmm. was going on which i think was good and i think that was part of my parents goal because i was still like a kid my brother was like for sure a kid and when we first came to the US it was very much like 
ooh, fun, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, we had been to the U.S. before, mm-hmm. like, just on vacation and, like, traveling. And do you remember liking it? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we went to, like, Hawaii. Right. So, like, why, like, Disneyland, like, yeah, like why wouldn't you, like, you know, <laughs> spending two weeks in Hawaii, like, as right. someone who grew up in Korea, right. like, it was, like, super cool. Yeah. Or, um, like, going to San Francisco and, like... Seeing the sights, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's what I remember. That was my memory of going to the US. Exactly. So when we moved, it's like, oh, wait, we're just gonna stay here. Like this is where we live now. Like, uh-huh. oh, cool. Like that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, and so, you, so do you think your dad and and mom did a good job of kind of shielding the distress that they were feeling as that was the impetus for the move, or do you remember like kind of a period of major upheaval and stress prior to your your move? Um, the former. I think they did a really good job. Um, I think it probably destroyed them mentally. Like, yeah. it was probably really hard for them. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there were things that were noticeable where, like, I mean, we, my brother and I grew up in, like, a huge house uh-huh. in Korea with, like, we had, like, a chauffeur. Uh-huh. We had a, a housekeeper who lived with us, uh-huh. like, for as long as I can remember. Right. Um, and then we like moved into a two bedroom house, like one or two bedroom house, where we were like sharing rooms. Right. We had like no furniture, and I was like, okay, this is like kind of like camping, I guess. <laughs> but like, so I could tell what the that fuck like, happened? right, like I can tell that something's something obviously was different. Right. But it wasn't. It wasn't like oh god, like. Over, our lives are ruined okay. you know or, or anything like that right. I think my parents did a good job not letting it get to a point where the kids were worried about right. our well being right. you know and where did y'all move to when you moved here when we first moved uh, my dad uh, had, my dad still does have an aunt who actually lives in like Torrance or something now but at the time Torrance um, is LA area yeah okay. like literally like oh, 10 minutes shoot. from here okay. um, not from our house but from here it's like 10 minutes we're um, in Long Beach at the yeah. moment yes <laughs> but at the time in the late 90s when my family moved uh, I think it was 98 um, my Oh, that's an answer. It's 98, so I must have been 12 going on 13. Yeah. Um, I was in 5th grade, you were in 7th grade. Yeah. So my dad's aunt at the time lived um, in the East Bay. Okay. But like kind of on the north side, kind of close to Napa. Uh Uh-huh. And we moved into their house okay. at the time she was living with her um, now deceased husband uh-huh. uh, and uh, they have they have, they still do have uh, you know three kids who are I guess my dad's first cousins but they're considerably younger than my dad uh-huh. so I think one of them was still living at home uh-huh. like was maybe like college e age okay. but they weren't living in that house they just had this extra house no we like moved into their house was like there anyone the in it 
No, like with them. We oh, moved in with okay. them. I thought you were saying she lived with her a husband separately. No, they no, lived no, no, in no. that house. They lived in that house okay. uh, with her husband and their son. I think the two older, the two older kids uh, had moved out because they were, you know, whatever, right. like older. Uh, but their son still lived there with them because he was right. like college age. Right. Um, so we moved into their house into like their spare bedroom basically all four of you all four of us i mean so that had to be something yeah but like because you were used to coming to the u.s and going on vacation in hawaii and san francisco and i imagine when you're going vacation in hawaii and san francisco you are staying in a nice hotel right right so you're not thinking like why aren't we staying in a nice hotel or yeah but at the time though you think of like oh wait we have family like obviously just stay with your family that made that made sense that makes sense like until we figure out where to go right um and then we uh i don't remember how many months we stayed there wow so it was months that you're all in the same bedroom yeah we stayed there for like months and then eventually um we rented um maybe like a two-bedroom apartment okay. that was like in that neighborhood. Okay. Um, and at the time, it's not like we were going to school or anything. Oh, you weren't? Just, mm-hmm. just chilling? Mm-hmm. So we moved in December. Uh-huh. Korean school year uh, is not um, summer to summer. It's winter to winter. Okay. So you just finished the school you, year. Yeah, I just finished the school year. You're on the new break. Right. It's like basically I'm on winter break. The new year starts in February. Uh-huh. So it wasn't weird to me because it's not right. like I ever go to school December through. Right. Late December through February. Uh-huh. Um, and we were trying to figure out where we were actually going to land. Um what grade I was going to go into. So your parents are probably just trying to get things together by August so you guys can start be settled for the start of the new school year. Yeah. Gotcha. That's that's right because we were also trying to figure out so I'm a I'm a December baby so in Korea I was like the youngest kid in school because the school year starts in uh, February Um, but in the US because of the school year difference i think my parents were also wondering like do we hold her back a year right uh you know or just put her in whatever grade she should be in right but also so there was 12 no... to 13 you just turned thir- 12 or you're about to turn 13 you're just birth in december right yeah i must have just turned thirteen. maybe it was 97 that we moved So either you're starting, you're, you're going to start... Uh, it must have been 97 because I graduated middle school in 2000. And middle school was 6 through six, 6 through 8. Right. So you're starting... So it must have been 97, actually, okay. that we moved. And okay. I would have just... My birthday's on the 13th, so I would have just turned 12. Right. And then moved. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're right? going to start 7th grade. That, yep. that makes sense, actually. Um, That's such a crazy time to move. I know. And then there was no real rush because in Korea I had already finished through sixth grade. Right. 
Um, so you had six so months. So I had six months. And actually, we didn't wait until the beginning of the next school year. I started because I remember starting in sixth grade in middle school, but probably I only was yeah, in school for on. a few few weeks. So your parents were like, just get her a little bit of sixth grade, get a little exposure. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like we ended up renting a a little uh, like condo esque apartment thing for a few months. And then we moved away from this like Napa enclave into more East Bay okay. to a, an area called Danville, um, and that's where I started going to school. Okay. And I started in sixth grade. Yeah. And you just finished up sixth grade year, then had summer break, mm-hmm. and then started seventh grade for mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. Got you. What do you remember about the? The comparison between schools. You did no school in that in the Napa area. Mm-mm, I never went okay. to school there. Yeah, no, I never went to school there. Do so you remember your like, like your first day of school? I don't really. Um, I do recall that they gave me like a, a men, not a mentor. I don't remember what they would have called it. Yeah, but there was one other Korean person in the entire school. <laughs> so, I should back up. When we were moving, uh, trying to figure out where to land, uh-huh. my parents had two goals. Um, one was to go where there was a good school district. Okay. And two was to move in to a white neighborhood. Okay. Because they wanted, obviously, the school thing is kind of obvious, right? Um, but I think the, they're both kind of obvious. Yeah, but the second, uh, especially because they wanted us to become as Americanized as possible, as quickly as possible. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so like, they didn't want to go somewhere because. Northern California has a ton of Asian communities. Yes. Yeah. If and you so wanted like, to, you could have been, it made it pretty smooth, like, oh, I, seamless transition. Totally. Uh, Dude, I remember, first time I ever went to San Francisco, I remember walking through Koreatown and just, like, stumbling off, not Koreatown, Chinatown, yeah. stumbling onto Chinatown in San Francisco, and I've been to Chinatown like, you don't in a bunch of different speak cities, English. and I was like, oh my god. Where am I? I, the, I literally just entered a foreign country. Like I said, it was I started off at one of our friends' apartments and just started wandering through the yeah. city. And all of a sudden, I was like, holy ass, like, what just happened? So, yeah, you definitely could have, like, essentially been in, like, little Seoul if you yeah. wanted to. Like, there... And I think at the time, my parents even considered moving to L.A. Right. You know, where... I mean, I think L.A. has, like, the largest Korean population, probably outside of, you know, outside yeah. of Korea. Yeah, probably, um, yeah. But it was really important for them, for us to be in, like, a middle-class white neighborhood. Right. Uh, so that's how we landed in this area called Danville, which, by the way, uh, apparently is now very Asian. <laughs> the, we were, like, ahead of the curve. We, we were the trendsetters. Uh, but at the time, when we moved, I haven't been there in years. But like, oh, you guys hear the parks moved to Danville? <laughs> but, like... My parents went back a few years ago, and they're just like, there are Asians everywhere. Like, there are no everywhere. white families. 
it's it's that's the schools. Hilarious. The schools bring all the Asians. Yeah, that's oh, okay. That's what it was then. Danville was known for good schools. Yeah, okay. really good schools. Um, and then just gets better and better once all the Asians <laughs> move in. <laughs> get up, get the scores up. Um, all the white kids are getting kicked out because they can't cut it. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we moved. Yeah, we started. Uh, yeah, we moved to Danville. Uh, to this like very white neighborhood so when I went to school like I remember they paired me with the only other Korean person in the school uh-huh. and like this person is like was like first generation maybe even second generation like didn't even really speak Korean uh-huh. and was probably just like right. how do I help you like right. I don't speak Korean you don't really speak English I guess we're both Korean, but like that almost makes it. I mean, which I, like in hindsight, now I think about it, I'm just like, oh god, like that's like a very ignorant like white person thing to do. Yeah, I miss- to be like, oh, here's like a Korean person. <laughs> you seem like you would be a, the perfect fit to guide this Korean person, even though you're American and don't speak. You've assimilated very nicely. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like now, when I think about it, it's just like, oh god, like that's very like micro- microaggressiony and like kind of cringy but it's more than micro and, <laughs> that's and just not, straight up i'm not the you know you know me i'm not that microaggression type <laughs> but but i do have mixed feelings man i find it funny you know, like i do a lot of things are just like, oh, you're korean but i appreciate it on one hand i'm like oh that's nice of the school like they're like, making effort they were to trying. help this person transition <laughs> i could totally see that if the roles were reversed right if i moved to mexico as a 12 year old and i went to a mexican school and there's one of the white kids at the school there's you know like, the mexican school would be like hey <laughs> help alex out you know and that like, would, i don't even speak english <laughs> i only speak spanish it, so it's it's i appreciate it it's nice but at the same time yeah it's like oh man you know you could just give her a you know any student yeah to help her out. It doesn't have to be the Korean one. <laughs> but, but you I do, spoke, Go ahead. But I do remember that of my... I guess I do remember my first day. I remember meeting this girl. I don't remember her name anymore. Um, but you I spoke do. English though, right? No? No, I was like in ESL. In <coughs> oh, so in you weren't grade. going to... You weren't going to bilingual schools in Seoul? No. Oh, I just assumed you were. No, all I the just... all the immigrants I know that come from you know families with money in foreign countries all have gone to went to Bangladesh. Wow, that's they even, dude. That, that makes that zero sense. I mean, we had foreign language high schools, but we didn't have bilingual kindergarten. Kindergarten. I mean, now they do, but like I think this is also surprising to a lot of people, but. Korea in the 80s and the 90s is not the Korea that people know right. now. Right, right, like, yeah. The Korean War happened in 1950s. 50s. Like, it's... Like, <laughs> like, it's so crazy. Uh-huh. But literally by the time that I was born, like, the war had just happened, like, 30 years ago. Or, yeah. like, you know what I mean? 30 like years. It's, it's not a long time. It's not a long time. At all. Uh, and between, and think about like post-war era in yeah. any country. Yeah, you know, like that's what like the fifties and the sixties were like in Korea. Right. You know, and like the seventies and like eighties, mm-hmm. like there was also barely like, rebuilding stuff. Yeah, there was also like a military dictator for a while. 
And then, like, a series of other, like, militant presidents. Not to mention, like, this looming doom to the north, where it's, like, what? This, like, constant existential threat to your existence. Right, so, like... Which I guess maybe helps your development, I don't know. All the... Samsungs and, like, the LGs and, like, you know, the glitz of soul that people think about now. K-pop. Like, that's... Yeah, K-pop, like... That that was not Korea in the eighties. It's nobody was learning yeah, English, English in a bilingual school. You yeah. know, like I was fortunate enough where I my family was well off, and I did get English lessons. Gotcha. But like a private tutor. Right. That's not. Um, and that was it. like, I want to say maybe second grade through fifth grade. Right. I had that. But it's like what, you go going like to somebody. Times a week for an hour or something. Not even a few times. I think it was just once a week, maybe twice a week. And what we would do is my, I don't even know how like people found out about these people, but there was a a Korean woman uh, who lived on the American military base because she had married an American who was uh-huh. stationed on the base. Gotcha. Uh, and like had kids and whatever. And she taught English gotcha. to Korean children. Gotcha. So once a week, or maybe twice She's a week... She's not even a native English speaker. No. Once a week, <laughs> or maybe twice a week, I would go on to the American military base <laughs> in Korea uh, to this person's that house. That is shocking that they got that. There's no way you could do that now. Some wife of a military person is running a business off a military base and they're just going to let Korean civilians onto the base? Like, there's no way that would happen now. I mean, the Korean, the American base is, I don't really know what it's like now. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not like a military base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Right, right, right. Um, it's not like in Afghanistan where there's no, like armed guards and German it's, shepherds and it's, it's not checkpoints. That. Yeah, I, I mean, we did have those, but like it's not like right. the feel of it. It's like it's right. in the middle of like a regular neighborhood. Right. Like my one of my um, uncles like still lives in that neighborhood. It's like a really nice neighborhood. Right. Um, and I don't really know what like the actual rules are around like civilian entry. I just can't imagine. But I do know that, like, we went there. we went there. That's where we went for yeah. our English lessons. Yeah. It's onto the military base. Yeah. I just can't imagine post-September 11th that stuff happened. Yeah, that's anymore. true. Um, that's hilarious. Yeah. Dude, but anyway, that, I did not go to a bilingual school. Dude, it's I remarkable, went to this lady's house. Because fa- I'm learning, that, you know, since I moved here in December, like I said, when I first moved here in December, I just assumed that you had pr- lived here pretty much your entire life. Like, there really was no Korea time. That's why you are the way you are. And the most remarkable thing is your English. Like, I know a ton of immigrants, and they speak perfect English, but there's always an accent, a little bit of an accent. You have no, like, not only do you speak better English than me, you have then I. zero accent. <laughs> Please, you're showing your ignorance right now. That's awesome. Oh. But dude, when you're 12, that's insane. That's when I started learning Spanish. I know. That was a contentious part because I really wanted to do a second language class because that's when everybody 
yeah. does it, but I couldn't because my elective had to be ESL. ESL, right, yeah. Which was the also government like, holding you back, see, that's the uh, government holding you down. The ESL class is all, was also just me and one so Iranian kid. Oh yeah, you're Dan Bo. I'm thinking you and a bunch of like Latino immigrants. No, it was, it was one, one other kid, and his family had just moved from Iran. It was just the two of you. It was just the two oh, of us. Oh, maybe that's that was part of the And like goal. our, this is, says something about our education system. Our ESL teacher wasn't a native English speaker. <laughs> she was also an Iranian. I don't know why, like, Danville maybe just had, like, a small pocket of Iranian population. It's probably the school thing again. I think, you know, Iran's maybe. a similar yeah. country where they have a ton of high-level professionals that are kind of being... Yeah, but, like, yeah, we, <laughs> we I was taught English in an ESL class by a, a woman whose first language was in English. But then again, I mean, I taught, a, and that's where I taught over hundreds of American children English. That's the other remarkable part of the story. <laughs> so, it's, t- it's 10 years after. Not even. With 12, you moved here at 12, and you're 22 and you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, years. that's true. Yeah, 22. 10 years later, you're the one teaching the kids. <laughs> 10 years later, you TFA after you graduate college. It's insane. It truly is a remarkable story. It's what's remarkable is how unremarkable the American education system is. <laughs> well, I mean, work for you. It's. I mean, it's. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? This is. This it worked good. for. It worked for me because I lived in a white neighborhood that was upper middle class. And let's let's parents, be clear. And yeah. you had parent more yeah. than anything, in yeah. my opinion, is you have parents that highly prioritized yeah. you getting a good education. Yeah. To me, that's number one above all else. You know. You can have, if your education is mediocre, which generally speaking, American public education, mediocre, right? But it doesn't, if you have high level parents or parents that are placing an extreme priority on education, it doesn't matter. That's that's my greatest frustration with being a teacher and ultimately why I'm not. The number one thing is the parents. Like you can get something out of this. Certainly it's better to go to some $50,000 a year private school, right? But you can still get, you know, a high-level education from standard public school, American public school X, if your parents are, like, on top of you, making you do extra stuff, making sure you're completing all your assignments, in communication with the teachers, have a relationship with the school, you know, you just have to give an S about your child's education. Yeah, we also had a... um, Keep saying S. I keep... I keep not cursing during this interview oh. because I'm used to being in judgment. Yeah, Give it we S. did. We did also have a tutor. My exactly, that's what I'm saying. Parents. Your, su- your parents are supplementing what they probably yeah. recognize as like, oh, I thought this was the good school like, district. The, like, yeah, but I mean, even with the good school district, the ESL class that's what I'm saying, is not yeah. going to cut it. Yeah. Like, if I want to catch up, because at this point, um, basically, I had two years to catch up. Because by high school, like, you kind of have to be within a competitive state from ninth grade. So it's like, okay, well, she has two years to kind of catch up somehow and, like... And I bet you, you actually, there were... Be able to do homework without help. Like, I remember I would get, uh, you know, one of those, like, worksheets or for homework yeah, and something that would take other kids what like 
20 minutes uh-huh. it would take me like three hours to do it because i would be looking up yeah i would look i would be look my dad and i would be looking up every single word in a dictionary and wow. like this is like in the late 90s right like we're looking things up in like a dictionary in the paper english korean dictionary like it's not like you just go to google translate and you right. type something it's like no we're hand like flipping through pages of the dictionary every single word entire paragraphs yeah <laughs> and then basically like i we would translate the whole thing i would then write my response in korean and then do it reverse oh wow look up every single word into english and then translate it right so like doing a worksheet would literally take hours yeah uh, and somehow, in two years, I have to be in, like, a competitive... Right. Whatever. So... Yeah. And I bet you there are kids you were going to school with that were already getting... Like, I know we started getting high school credit in seventh grade. Like, there were classes I was taking in seventh grade that were counting my high school transcript, which is also going to determine what college you go to. And I'm getting... Anyway, yeah, but yeah, it's so kind of crazy. You hit it... Yeah, you hit, you hit the ground running immediately. Right. But that's good for you, ultimately. Like, I know... I mean, I mean uh, like, Latinos in... Latin America who speak perfect English but live in like super poor neighborhoods and I'm like what happened here and like oh yeah when I was a kid I used to just sit in front of the TV and watch MTV all day and like take notes on what I was hearing and then go and translate the lyrics to all the songs (laughs) you taught yourself English by watching MTV like fluent English as a 10 year old and it's like it's good for you ultimately especially when you have a developing brain you know pretty once again i keep saying remarkable but it's yeah. crazy but we yeah we did have some extra help and oh mrs todd i wonder what she's doing and where she is and you know like talk about like a positive influence in like formidable years i guess you know she was our uh, our tutor our meaning like uh you and your for, brother yeah exactly um and she used to come to our house like once or twice a week uh, for the entire duration that we lived in Danville. We wow. lived there for two years and some change. And I think about it now, and speaking of remarkable, is that um, she's a black woman who came into this, like, I, I'm pretty sure she was. She and her family were probably like the only black people in that neighborhood yeah. because I I don't remember our school having like any, any non not even like black kids, just non white children. This so is probably one of the first black people you ever had a relationship this first black person you had a relationship with. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Oh black people hang on Korea, I imagine. No. You ever remember seeing a black person in Korea? Probably, like, but all related to military. Right, gotcha, yeah. You know, like, it's not like you see non-military foreigners or non-Korean person, really. Right. Um, I think now you do, Mm. but back in the 90s, I think you kind of assume that if there is, like, a non-Korean person walking around, it's probably somebody who's affiliated with the military. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she. Where'd your parents find sure, her? I have no idea, but she's for sure the first black person I ever had a relationship. Do you think that was intentional by your parents? 
No. No? They just sound like they're very conscious of cultivating your, and obviously did an mm-hmm. awesome job of cultivating your mm-hmm. transition, your assimilation to American culture. Yeah, no, that I would be like a master stroke. <laughs> like, yeah. we're bringing in all aspects of, like, American diversity into our children's lives. I mean, that would, I mean, that would really be truly remarkable, but no, I don't think that was, was like, part of the grand plan. Right. I think it was totally coincidence and a very lucky one. Um, not, like, lucky that she was black, but because she was such a wonderful person that, like, I still, like, I still remember her very fondly. Uh-huh. Was she your favorite teacher? Including the ones who are, who are like your actual teachers. Yeah, I would yeah. say so. Like if, um, I mean, I guess we are doing an interview now. Like if you ask me, like, who made the most lasting impression as like an educator in my middle school uh, year, like it would for sure be her. That's like fine. it's like by far. Uh-huh. So would she, would she come over and just basically like help y'all with the homework, be the dictionary, or was she doing like separate English lessons? I don't really remember. I think it was a mix of both. Um, I think she helped us kind of get through, um, yeah, like get through the homework. Also give us kind of, not like life lessons, <laughs> but like explain cultural differences you know and like explain why somebody may say one thing or Uh you know like how do you interpret like body language you know what I mean like just like very like cultural knowledge as well yeah um I can. See, I just have this image of like you and your dad. Like you do your homework with your dad by your side. He's got this big dictionary out in front of him, and he's like exasperatingly flipping through the pages. Like I gotta get someone else to do this. Probably. <laughs> like, I gotta bring She's somebody like, I in. Can't do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was a lot, and also <laughs> what you can't overlook. Is that I was like a preteen or teen. Like, think about like 12, 13, 14 year old girls. Like, they're terrible humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I was also like going through my face, mm-hmm. you know. Going through and, puberty as you're transitioning to Yeah, America. and this lady really just probably saw me at my worst, <laughs> but was just like the most, uh, like, caring, nurturing human, uh-huh. you know, but I was probably a total dick. <laughs> I can't imagine not that bad. Still, so you were dead before, how many years old? Two? Two, so I went to school, grade. seventh and eighth grade, and like a little tiny bit of sixth grade. And your brother's um, like yeah. fourth and fifth? Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's a perfect time. Oh, anyway, tell us about you leaving, but if it was for school, that's a perfect time, right? Yeah, because we had both finished. Brothers transitioning to middle, you're transitioning to high. Exactly. Um, So my eighth grade, uh, we're, like, looking at, at this point, like, we're doing, you know, we may even be living like month to month or maybe a year lease. Yeah, what what, what was your dad doing to make money? I don't know. 
You don't know? I don't know. Uh, I think we were probably uh, Was he out? Do you remember him being out working? Not really. I think we were probably running on our reserves. Oh, okay. Um, at this point. Um, and but you're in public school. We were in public school. Okay. So now we pay for school. Yeah. We were in public school. I mean, we were paying for the tutor, but we're in public school. But you haven't paid rent now. You're in a separate house. We're in a separate house. And I do remember we moved, like, basically every year. So even though we were in Danville, like, by the time that we leave Danville, since coming to the U.S., we've lived in, like, five or six different places. <laughs> like, seriously. Holy shit. Um, do you remember, were you happy? What was your emotional state at the time? Do you remember, was it chaotic? Do you remember, like, oh, this is great, I'm married? Like, what do you remember? No, I don't really remember it being chaotic. Um, actually, uh, I've said this to other people, but people have, like, very negative memories of, a lot of people have very negative memories of middle school. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't. And I think part of it is, like, who knows? Maybe there were a bunch of kids who were just like, oh my god, like, look at that girl. Like, she, her clothes are funny. Like, she doesn't even understand what we're saying. Like, maybe they were making fun of me. And I just had no idea. So, like, I had my, I had good friends. So you're making you know, friends? Were, yeah. Even the like, first year? Yeah. Cool. Who That's were, all. like, super open, like, super patient. Uh, and, like, very authentic, like, uh, truly just kind friends. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, maybe there were people who were, like, cruel, but I have zero recollection of it. And I would actually be surprised if, if there were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually have very fond memories of, of middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, so we stayed there two years, um, and in my eighth grade year, I took one of those, like, standardized tests Mm -hmm. for applying to private schools, Mm -hmm. Um, and somehow I did decently enough where I got into this school in, uh, in San Diego. Uh, and that was partially intentional because my like my parents wanted to stay in California or like on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't want me to go to a boarding school, uh, so they like researched private schools that are um, you know like non-boarding in California. Uh, in like you know a white neighborhood uh, and all of that and uh, the school that I went to for high school turned down all of those private high level private schools it it checked all the boxes it's also like very well regarded Um, so how does that work you take the insurance to private high school test and then you send them off to the schools you want to apply to it's like college it's like the SAT so like why to fill out an application. I'm pretty sure there was an interview at one point. Wow. Too. Um, but was yeah, that the like, plan always? Your parents were like, start off in middle school, but high school is going to be private. I think or was, was a, that like their experience with the Danville public schools, like we need to upgrade? No, um, I don't think it was that because the Danville public school system is 
awesome. quite good. And we had, um, we were at a point where, so there were two good high schools, like both of which were really good, but one of them was like slightly better. Mm-hmm. And I think the decision was, do we just stay here and like have her go to, like move to, you know, a few blocks like west or whatever to be in that school's neighborhood mm-hmm. or do we um, just pick up again and go to a smaller setting and I don't quite know what the rationale was between like public and private school because mm-hmm. um, obviously like if they were really concerned about the public thing like they would have just stuck me in a private school from the beginning mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. Um, so I don't like I don't know. Like I I don't know if it was that like by high school it like really counts. So it's better if you are going to like a smaller school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, class any public, matter. You know, like any, any at any public high school as a parent. I mean, you run the risk. I mean, I guess you're gonna ex- gonna get exposed regardless as a high schooler to a lot of stuff. But the chances of you limiting, I don't know, something going wrong are, you know, a lot better if you're at a private school. You know, any public high school, it doesn't matter if it's a good public high school, drugs are going to be there, sex is going to be there, parties are going to be there. So, I don't know, maybe you're just ensuring that you're having a higher quality of peer group. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. you should talk to your parents about it. Yeah, but that was the decision. I don't remember how many different schools I applied to. And it really may have been that like okay here are like two or three schools that are really good if you don't get into one of those private schools then let's just stay here and go to this good public school like I don't think it was they they were so set on sending me to a private school that they would have sent me to any kind of private school over this good public school I think it was like okay like here is like a selection Mm. and if we get in there, great. If not, then, like, this school is great. This is just like the college application process. Yeah, yeah. Just shoot for my, you know, these are my right. tier one schools. If not, I'll go to state school at home. Right, right. Um, but somehow I got in, uh, and then we moved. So it was... Um, That's crazy. So your parents are just like... This is what I'm talking about in terms of value of parents valuing education, like... We're willing. This is the number one priority in our existence on Earth. Yeah. It's not our job. It's not like you know the location of our family. Yeah. It's not being around other family. The number one priority is having the best school possible for yeah. our But daughter. you also have to think about it in context, right? It's yes, that is true that they prioritize education, but they also didn't have regular jobs. We didn't have family. We had already left all that shit right, behind. So it's, like, so it's like, literally at this point, that's the only thing that my parents care about because it's like, we have else. already given up Everything. our entire lives. Yeah. None of our friends are here. Mm-hmm. None of our, our family members are here. The job like, is gone. The job is gone. Literally all we have are our two kids. So what yeah. can we do for our two yep. kids? So, uh, you know, like, yes, it was a priority, but also like... It wasn't a long list. Exactly. Like, it's not like they had a bunch of other priorities that they had to, like, that forego, basically, in order to make this There's no opportunity cost. No. I mean, it was like, okay, well, that really is the most important because it's kind of the only thing that 
right. is that we could still like hang on to. Totally. You know. Totally. So. Um, so sit off to San Diego, off and to not San Diego. to mention, I mean, shit, not a bad option. I know. I know. <laughs> San Diego's the greatest place ever. I know. It was a, <laughs> it was a really wonderful place to grow up. It was a very wonderful place to grow up. And, and you like, grew up what part of San Diego? Because we just we recently talk about that seems like last week, but when we were down at your parents' house in yes. Carlsbad, that was like two months ago. Oh my god, was it really? <laughs> Almost. Yeah, we were not. In we were Carlsbad. there in August. You guys went. Uh, no, it was y'all. Sorry, this is not relevant for the audience, but y'all went down. Just to give you context. Y'all went down. I went up to Montana for Karashi. When was that? Oh my god, that was of the school year. Huh? First oh my god. week. That was no. Second week in August. And we left a little before that. Second week in August. So y'all left at the end of the first week of August. It's about to be November. <laughs> oh my god, what? I know. It seems like we were at your parents' house a week ago. I have just. It could have, but you ago. know what though, like it could have been a week ago, but it also could have been like six months ago. Yeah, everything is um, all in there. Anyway, everything has worked. So what? So your parents currently live in Carlsbad, but that's not where you went to school and grew up. No, um, we lived in an area called Del Mar, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a very pleasant, uh, lovely beach town in a mm-hmm. way. Uh, my school was in, or still is, in La Jolla, um, which is like the epitome of a pleasant, lovely, glitzy beach town. Mm-hmm. Like people from like all over the world to go to La Jolla. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a religious school? It was Episcopalian affiliated. Uh, so it was religious in the, the sense. It did make a difference, though, because, um, like, it was religious in the sense that we had uh, to take a year and a half of religion classes. Okay. As a graduation. Yeah, three semesters. We all had to take Old Testament, New Testament, and then a religious elective. That's cool, man. I honestly wish I had taken that. But, like, the elective wasn't, like, Catholicism. Right. Or like Don't have it sex. wasn't like sin. Right. You know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> Sin one oh one. Yeah, right. There wasn't anything like that. Like Sit down and shut up. Right. Like the the elective that I took was world religions. Gotcha. And like our the paper that I wrote was like about Jainism or something like that. And we did Atheism. have I mean, but you could. Like right. like I'm pretty sure that my old testament teacher who was an atheist right um and because we learned so your teachers weren't like a bunch of nuns no we like learned old testament as like a text right exactly and it was like we analyzed the old testament to see like is this factually plausible it's like obviously not like people are like 700 years old (laughs) (laughs) like no this is not like nobody like took a rib and then like create a human like no, was, that is- so is that the vibe of the class was the vibe of the class kind of like I don't want to I'm not a religious guy at all the but vibe- was it kind of like snarky of oh, these silly religious people a little bit okay. like the vibe was not like let's all pray God created this right earth and you know like you are were the religious anything. kids in the class that were like hey 
No, not really. I mean, maybe there were, but like it wasn't. It was more of like a, an open conversation about religion. Like it was not like class, it was like not dogmatic in a way. Right. You know so, what I mean? Like it wasn't like someone kind of forcing religion down your throat, right. or even like the kids expressing that kind of a putting that kind of an imposition on others mm-hmm. it was like a very free form condo gotcha. and we had a chapel weekly chapel uh-huh. but like like chapel wasn't really chapel like we went to chapel but like we would have like guest speakers and it would be like someone from Baha'i no it would be like literally like a Baha'i person who My would mom. come in and like Talk about Baha'i, whatever. <laughs> and like. I wish you guys could see Sue right now doing like a Baha'i <laughs> like, dance. Like, and like, <laughs> one, one week, like, we'll have have chapel outdoors and it'll be blessing of the animals right. and like people will bring in their pets from home and like the chaplain would bless the animals. Like, that was our chapel. Bless your goldfish. Like, <laughs> And, like, we would have, like, Mindfulness Day, where Got we all, you. like, sat on the quad and, like, meditated. Like, it was not, like, religion. You know what I it mean? It sounds <laughs> like the La Jolla Episcopalian private school, like, very quickly got with the time. Probably founded in, like, 1910. <laughs> and very quickly got with the times and realized, like, this is not a sustainable business model. We need to start converting chapel to, like, San Diego chapel. Yeah. But I mean, like, it was obviously not... I mean, there were probably the school probably had uh, like a majority of kids who maybe identify as Christian, mm-hmm. but that's just like right. U.S. statistics. Right, it's right, not right, like right. we also had like just like the majority of my peer group. Like, like we had a bunch of Jewish kids, right. and like and and think about it, it's like people. Like, I'm pretty sure there had there was a kid who's like, dad was a rabbi. Like, think about it. Like, no... If if you're, like, super religious, that is non-Christian, uh, or Episcopalian, you wouldn't send your kid to, like, a, religion, a, a super school. Christian school. Right. Like, yeah. it was that kind of a school where, like... It was an academic institution. Yes. High-level academic yeah. institution. Yep. Yeah, but I think there's still colleges today like that, right? That are, like, Georgetown. Right? Georgetown's a Jesuit university. DC. Yeah. Um, uh, Were your parents religious at all growing up? Was there any religion in your upbringing? Yes. Because I remember going to your parents' house when we were there, back to being there a couple months ago, and there are like, I don't remember exactly, but I remember seeing religious things throughout the house, like a little painting or like a little plaque thing, and there's Bibles, and I remember thinking like, oh, I didn't know Sue's parents were religious. So... So we, I think, the individuals within my family have complicated relationships with religion. Okay. When we were living in Korea, um, I was brought up Buddhist. Oh, really? So, um, and like my grandparents' generation, like they all like went to temple, and I grew up. Is that common? Well, Korean society, as you remember it, or even today. Well, I don't even know, I guess... Today, it's probably majority Christian. Okay. I don't know what the breakdown was. It was probably more even. When you were a kid? When I was a kid. And and, and back then and today, is it, like, fervent? What do you mean? Like, 
are the morals of religion a part of broader society? Like, is it frowned upon sex before marriage, drinking alcohol, dancing, going clubbing? I don't know. Like, how much of society is influenced by religion? Because, like, even American society today, I think America, global compared to other developed nations, is a religious nation. But I wouldn't say, it, um, but when you analyze American society more broadly, having sex before marriage isn't a big deal. Drinking isn't a big deal. Partying isn't a big deal. Certainly there's a Christian undertone to some American society, but it's, it doesn't like infiltrate society, I don't think. So I'm wondering in Korea, is it, much, is it a conservative culture because of religion? Or is it kind of a pretty open, modern society? I know that's different between your childhood and now, but what do you remember in I... today? don't know the actual answer to this question um, because one um, Korea has changed a lot yeah and I haven't really kept up with like all the social (laughs) political religious changes right so I would just be guessing right and two whatever I do base my guesses on are also based on like a child's observation right. a little bit um, but you don't remember moving to the US and be like these motherfuckers are wild no okay. um, but I think my perspective uh, based on you know like my limited understanding is that the social conservatism in Korea as it exists may coexist with certain religious conservatism but they don't sit on top of each other like it does in the states okay like in the states regardless of what Americans like to believe about separation of church and state uh-huh. it doesn't exist uh-huh. Like, it is very much a predominantly a Christian Uh country, whether people like to admit it or not. Like, Uh that is very much, like, fundamental to how Americans act and behave. Uh And that seems to have a certain political voice and an affiliation. Totally. I would say... Um, what I understand of Korean politics is that it's a lot more region-based than it is, uh, like, based on, like, religious dogma or anything like that. So, um, like, if say that there's, like, a presidential race, it would be less about, like, the focus would be less about, like, this person's Catholic. Uh, you know, versus this person's Jewish or whatever. Um, More about where they versus come from. like, yeah, like this person comes from like this region or this person comes from that region. Um, and like, I don't, I can't really speak for the other countries, but to me, one of well, like the biggest issues with. American politics and like social movements is how much religion kind of plays a role 
Uh, and I think maybe it's kind of hard for people to separate that out because that's how things have always been here. But like that's not necessarily the norm. Right. You know, like it's um uh like what do you call that? Like it's not a causation but uh not a coincidence but correlation correlation yeah. you know like that um social conservatism mm -hmm. and religious conservatism align uh -huh. i don't think it's necessarily that religious conservatism causes social conservatism in okay. korea if that makes sense yeah so it makes sense yeah, yeah that's a beautiful answer to the question that's essentially yeah. exactly what i was asking you yeah but here it does but here it, do it feels very much like a causation Oh, yeah. Like, think about, like, everything, all these conversations about, you know, abortion, for example. I know it's a controversial topic, which really shouldn't be controversial because it's about a woman's choice, but somehow... But not if you believe in, you know, heaven and hell and Adam and Eve, and it's not about a woman's choice, it's about following God. Well, I mean, it's certainly about prioritizing that over... A woman's choice yeah. or a woman's free will yeah. like they talk about like free will just not a woman's free will right well god's will is more important <laughs> right or like this unborn fetuses free will exactly. or, like whatever like that's more important than a woman's free will yeah um like something like that that kind of stuff wouldn't like that There's feels a separation like, that feels like a very causation thing though right totally. like it's like oh because of religion like I now th like it is oh, it's like it is like yeah. a consequential yeah. thing like therefore you know that's yeah. murder or like whatever like oh, it, yeah, that just absolutely. feels so like you can't separate the two no absolutely know? not but not, that, Korea, not that it's a one to one relationship you know obviously like there are a bunch of other like people who are well, not, now not there religious. are right? they're like who may not be like cool with whatever I think it's who are religious who do support who are like preach pro-choice like right. you know obviously there's gonna be like commingling of some sort but generally speaking it feels like very much a like so in Korea if there were a debate over abortion for instance like it wouldn't scripture wouldn't be involved in the conversation I don't know I actually have no idea what the abortion laws are in Korea well regardless of what they are you know it would be well, I don't know. I think that, like, I could see it being one of the reasons, but I don't God's think that. Will? Yeah, I don't. We're like God's desires. Um, maybe not so much God's desires God's per desires. se, but like <laughs> God's desires. Oh, Is it like chocolate ice cream, vanilla ice cream? What are God's desires? Or like um. <laughs> God or it's it's more like the pro-life discussion a lot of it depends on like what your idea of conception right like conception and life yeah um, and I don't know how much of that idea of like life begins at conception like how much of that is like a purely Christian idea versus just like is it possible to have that view just outside of religion? I, mean, sure I like, do. That's how I look at abortion. Not to get us down the abortion yeah. topic. This is about you, but that's that's honestly. I actually just talked about this on my last podcast. Yeah. I look at life as essentially beginning at conception. Hmm. That's certainly not a religious thing. It's no. a scientific thing. Oh, no. 
sperm, egg, they meet and unite and become a new thing? Oh, well, that's obviously when life begins, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't kill that life. If you want to end that life, cool. That's your choice. Like, you know, you get pregnant tonight and three months from now, there's a life inside of you and you decide, nah, not now or not for me. Cool. That's your decision. So... I don't know. I feel like I kind of straddle this line of like, I do think of a conceived, a fertilized egg as a life. It's going to become a human, but that doesn't mean you're not, you're not allowed to make, it's your life to decide about in my, in my opinion. So like that perspective, like is in my view, like a a version, not like social conservatism per se, but that's like a non-religiously affiliated thing idea that you have or that other, a lot of other people have that like influence a, a thing so I don't know like in but that idea culture, that I have comes uh, is undoubtedly influenced from like the by religious messaging behavior. that's that the concept that I mm-hmm. have that life does begin at conception is influenced by the fact that I grew up in a Christian nation now I don't identify with any Christianity and I don't my view of when life begins is not because like that's what God says it's yeah. just my own conception but my conception is influenced by the fact that I was raised in a Christian nation in the south I'm sure mm-hmm. but, but what I don't know is um, how that translates in like a Korean culture right you know like I don't know what percentage of people would believe that well, I don't know what percentage of people with that belief would necessarily be pro-life over pro-choice. Because right. obviously, here's an example of someone who believes that yet is pro-choice. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, so like I don't I don't know I know I know like this is like an abortion rabbit hole here, but um, my the the to back us out I guess. Get us out of here. Right. My well, it's like my short answer is like. I can't imagine it being that religion plays as integral of a role in Korean political uh, structure as it does in the United States. But I can't really speak to the degree of which it, you know, like, like the degree of the role it would right. play. But I do think that it is a fact that between the time that I was growing up, um, it felt like it was maybe even majority Buddhist and certainly a split between Buddhists and Christian. Mm-hmm. I think over time has transitioned into more of a Christian majority uh, country. Gotcha. Um, so I don't know what that also does right. to like social movements and political movements. Right. And back to my original question, yeah. which is how we got down yeah. the abortion rabbit hole. Which what is, religion is, did I grow up with? Yeah. No, but this is why I like interviewing what I consider high-level humans. is because you can ask a simple question. Like a low-level human would have been like, yeah, my parents were Baptists. You know? <laughs> and then that would be the end of the I'm like, okay, next question. <laughs> no, we, we can back us, back us out. So I, we, I was brought up Buddhist. Um, but when we moved to the States, it's not like we were going to continue to go to temple. Right. And one interesting thing 
And I don't know whether Did it's you, a... Sorry to interject. Were you going to Temple as a kid in Korea? Like, do you remember... Was it that part of your life? Like, you guys were going to church or Temple or whatever. It was... You were attending religious service regularly? Not, like, on a weekly basis or anything like that. But for certain days... Okay. Kind of like, you know, like those... Not like the Christians who, like the Easter Christmas Christians, where you go to church twice a year. Like more often than that. But like if there was. Like somewhere an between event. an Easter Christmas Christian and, and like a Christian Christian. Yes. Gotcha. Somewhere, somewhere that level of. Gotcha. Devoutness. Yes. Is that a word? Devoutness? Devotion? You tell Devotion. me. Devotion. <laughs> Miss Todd. Where are you at now? <laughs> Is devotion the noun form of. I guess it must be. Devout. Devout. Oh, that doesn't seem. I think it is. Maybe. It doesn't seem quite. I went okay. to State's Corps. I didn't go. Yeah, okay, whatever. You Chicago. But, <laughs> whatever. It's not a word that I use on a regular basis. <laughs> devout. Yeah, devout is not like a part of my regular vocabulary. <laughs> um, uh, so you moved here and. You know, I mean, it's no temple to go to, really. Right. And, I mean, there are, but right. they're very few. Right. Uh, and, and your parents were intentionally trying to assimilate you, essentially, it sounds like, right? And I think also part of it is, like, um, we were Buddhists because my grandparents' generation right. were Buddhists. So that was, like, something that my parents right. knew. But, like, my parents weren't, like, particularly, like, oh, right. we, like, must, like, we really yeah. are 100% into... Buddhism or you didn't whatever. have like some kind of like shrine in no. your um, but the thing that I was going to say was that an interesting thing that I don't know uh, whether this is unique to Korean immigrants but church is like a thing Korean um, in in the states uh, like Korean churches I see them everywhere no matter where I've lived Atlanta, it's, Phoenix, LA, DC, they're everywhere. Korean churches it's everywhere. Not just religious, but also uh, it's like your gateway into the Korean community in that neighborhood. Got you. Like if you want to meet other Koreans in wherever it is that you're living like you go to church because that's how you get connected to everyone so it has like a social aspect to it on top of the religious aspect but a lot of times um, like the Korean churches are like very evangelical in feel like they're very like some sort of charismatic leader Baptist, Methodist type Um, and like very much like praise God, gotcha. you know, kind kind of a thing. Um, but there is also like a good fraction of people who go just for the social aspect. For the hang. I mean, kind of. It's <laughs> yeah. like they don't really know yeah. anyone. Like they are of older generation, where they're not kind of like they're not in school to make a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they miss Korea. Mm-hmm. They miss having like contact with people where they can just like speak Korean and like not be stressed <laughs> uh, so for a lot of people like that also becomes like a social outlet is that what happened with your so we started going to church but in Denver or San Diego both 
Oh, you started Devil. Mm-hmm. But okay. we... <laughs> this sounds weird. We, by nature, are not really particularly religious people. Like, uh, eh. I don't know if that's, like, learned behavior over time. It must be because nobody's, like, born religious. Um, well, yeah, I mean... But, like, it's... It's hard for highly intelligent people to maintain religious conviction because you see the man behind the curtain. And I don't know, like, what, you know, there's a magical man in the sky or not, but it's hard to have, you know, a brain that's functioning on a high level and not ask a lot of questions, <laughs> at the very least. Yeah. And also, like, I think <laughs> there's this thing that my family, we just call it church drama, where any time that you are in a small community that is like very personally close uh-huh. like there will be drama yeah you know and I think my parents enjoyed uh, the social aspect of it like being able to meet other people and like making new friends but then the deeper we got into it like not only was like the religious message we're just like oh okay like like the bible is cool mm. like Jesus sounds like a cool dude. Yeah. Like we'll take I, this as kind of right the fee at the door to be part of this club. Yeah, and like you know, like there are definitely lessons that right. I can take from this, mm-hmm. and I think those are important lessons mm-hmm. just in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the deeper they got into it, it was harder to kind of escape the church drama Mm -hmm. and they really did not like that Mm because they were just like why are we doing this like this is just it's a lot of pettiness Mm -hmm. like we went there looking for like a sense of community and it's it's like you know family reunions Mm -hmm. where like you enjoy people's companies but like inevitably there's gonna be like some weird fight well, and also and you're, then, like, you're the, just like, oh God, like you're dealing with a specific. With and the, I know you said that you know for a lot of people it was a social thing, but you're also dealing with a religious crowd. So yeah. some arguments that are involving religion are entirely intractable. You're not going to come to like some sort of resolution if you're you know believing in dictates of some two thousand year old mm-hmm. book. You know those mm-hmm. arguments are not going to be solved. <laughs> and then the other thing is, I wanted to mention this. We I feel like we kind of glossed over, it, but to me it's just part of you know really the, my interest in your your life story is that your parents were Korean adults when they moved to the United oh, yeah. States and like they weren't an ESL program no. they didn't have Miss Todd no. they were going to school they were just a Korean adults yeah. who now had to transition oh, their transition is actually a lot harder than y'all's so much harder because <laughs> you know they, they had, like had lives and friends yeah. and family like I at least had my family. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had their kids, but like, they—I don't want to say lost their family, but they kind of did. Yeah. I mean, still, like, it's not that like I'm super close to my brother and I see him all the time, but that's not the same as like, oh, like if I. If I really wanted to see my brother, I could he like lives call an hour him. Away. Yeah, like I could call him right now and be like, "Hey, yeah. like, you want to hang? Yeah, and have a barbecue on Saturday?" He'll be like, "Yeah, maybe." Mm. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you're probably like, "Yeah, not really." <laughs> but like, we could. But like, they don't have that option, right? Uh-huh. Like, and 
I can't imagine that's I mean I mentioned this that's like me in two years leaving behind like everything and just me Lucas and Jojo moving to just moving to France the country. Yeah. yeah where we don't speak the language where we don't know anyone and just like damn my only job is to make sure Jojo learns French yeah. and learns how to yeah. like learns French culture and yeah. then me and Lucas will just no. <laughs> tread except, water <laughs> except what my parents did is like even worse because we are English speakers and a lot of the world speak English uh-huh. so we could like go to France or like wherever and probably still survive right, right. it's impossible it's yeah. not like they could just survive anywhere speaking Speak Korean a you language know, that's like isolated on a right. tiny island yeah <laughs> it's only spoken peninsula on but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so that's what we're like never do. gonna make it through my life we're still no, we're there. this is about this is about the standard pace okay oh, um yeah because we're up to it all always too childhood is much more detailed it's it kind of it's not sad but it's an interesting reflection doing these interviews has taught me a lot and it's interesting usually when you get it's like people spend about two hours on like their childhood and then you get to like adulthood graduating college and it's like you can wrap everything up in about 15 minutes. <laughs> really? It's like, yeah, well, then I come and graduate college, became a lawyer, and here we are. And it's like, that's kind of a, for a lot of people. Huh. It's, it's Interesting. Yeah, there's, and you've had much, your childhood is obviously constant growth. Yeah. It's constantly influencing who you are. You've had all of these years to reflect on it. It involves dynamics of parents and friends and uh, boyfriends and, you know, becoming of age. And then you become an adult, and it's just kind of like, yeah, you know. That's typically how the interviews go. I just keep my head down and keep going. Keep grinding, yeah. Um, But I think the thing that really resonates with me of what you just said is that we've had a lot of time to reflect on it. And I think that is very true. Because a lot of the observations that I've noticed uh, that I've been making uh, is kind of a a re... Not just a revisit... But like a reanalysis, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm looking at it from a completely different perspective, you know. Hello, my baby. You're a sweaty girl. Why Jesus, are you so Jojo. sweaty? Jojo, it's... Pause for a second. I need to pee anyway. Jojo's up. Yeah. No, no mas, no toca. No mas toca. Go see daddy, Jojo. She doesn't, uh, she wants like a croissant experience, not like a layer. Here, Jojo. Dad is really into these layers. There's a no toca. That's not how it's designed to be eaten. You're supposed to eat multiple layers at once. where that came from, Jojo. <laughs> Nobody wants to eat a sheet. Jojo <laughs> <laughs> like, does. It's like her quesadilla. Jojo, what do you think? Mmm, yummy. Do you prefer the multi-layer experience? <laughs> do you understand that that's how? No toca. No toca. Puzzle. You can talk to touch that puzzle all you want. 
All right, Mom, let's try this. Let's go right here. So take us back to your... Um, what were you talking about? Religion. Oh, religion. So your oh, parents... Yeah, so church drama. That's yeah, so your parents were getting sick of church drama in the U.S. So, um, like, every few years they tried to go to church again. Uh, and then they, like, form good relationships and whatever. And by the time that church drama starts, they kind of make their exit. Okay. <laughs> They're just like, oh. Did they move on to another church after that? No. They usually, like, kind of... Or like, okay, we need to not yeah. go to church for, for, for a little bit. <laughs> Too much church. Like, it's a, little, it's a little much. But I think in the process, um, especially for my mom, has found, like, a little comfort mm-hmm. in Scripture. Yep. Um, so... I think they've kind of realized by now that like organized religion is not really for them because mm-hmm. it's just a lot mm-hmm. but I think my mom now has a certain appreciation for the Christian faith mm-hmm. um, and thinks that there are lessons from the Bible that she thinks are just good life lessons uh, that she uh, and she gets something out of reading the Bible mm-hmm. so instead of going to church uh, she does like kind of read Bible on her own uh, maybe like listen to some like sermons or something like mm-hmm. that um, but she doesn't bring anybody else in, no she, Bible study. She does not bring anyone else in. Uh-huh. She kind of stays away from, like, the organized mess, uh-huh. uh, which is kind of... It, it, it's honestly pretty similar to how I view religion. Uh-huh. Like, I think having personal faith uh, is a good thing if it is something that helps you get through your day. I literally just said almost those words verbatim on the last podcast. Yeah. Too. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, I do have kind of an issue with organized religion and religious beliefs that try to control other people's beliefs. Um, and that's really... And usually because that's tends to pervade the religious discussions I tend to be pretty turned off from religion personally mm-hmm. um, and also the at the base of it all like I don't have personal faith mm-hmm. in God mm-hmm. like for some people like for my mom like it helps her so I'm happy for her that she has that mm-hmm. because if she's having like a really hard time with something and she doesn't no. and she feels like there is some place that she could turn to mm-hmm. that brings her some peace mm-hmm. and if she gets that peace from like listening to somebody talk about Jesus mm-hmm. then that's not it's literally hurting no one mm-hmm. and it's helping her so exactly. there is like a net positive mm-hmm. so like who am I to say don't do that right. but she's but my mom's not going around being like have you heard this man <laughs> talk about religion? Or like, you know what Jesus would do? Like, she's never doing anything like that. Right. She's very much like, 
self-contained in like what she believes, and she doesn't impose her views on anyone else. And she knows where I stand on like faith and religion, mm-hmm. and she respects my views just as I respect hers. And I think that's yes. yeah. And I just think that's if everyone had that perspective. We wouldn't be having any of these. We probably live in a utopia. Ish, yeah, but you know my views about like my ideal world and utopia. Oh, and yeah. No, I but mean, they like literally cannot exist. But like, you know, it's if well, yeah, we need to go down the whole rabbit hole. But yeah, we have a lot of rabbit hole possibilities. Yeah, here. we do, and we're two uh, almost two hours in. <laughs> Has she ever tried to, in any way, like? Hey Sue, you have a minute to like talk about your faith or nothing. Never. And so even this analysis that you just um, delineated about what you pers- her relationship with religion, that's you observing her behavior. Yeah, and her describing. Okay, so she does her, talk to you about it a little, like her she, personally, or her personal right. thing. Or I've asked her like. Why do you still bother with that? Like, you don't go to church anymore. You think church drama is kind of BS.、Mm-hmm. Like, why do you still read this thing?、Mm-hmm. And she explained it to me. Gotcha. She, she, you know, and that what I just described is what she explained、right. to me. That it brings her a little peace. Yeah. I said, oh well, I'm glad that you have that. That's awesome. You know. I wish a lot more people had、yeah. something like that they could hold on to. But your dad then is like, I'm good. Yeah,、no. I think so. He's not doing thumbing、no. through the Bible and difficult. I、matters. mean, he might be, but like, I think my mom is has a deeper faith, right? Than than anything that he may have.、Um, but he's also like a pretty private guy when it comes to that stuff. So、right. like, who knows?、Right. But the point being, he's not the one imposing his views on anyone else either.、Right. Like. Whatever may be his relationship with religion and God, like he kind of keeps it to himself. Gotcha. You know, and that's not like it's not just that. It's not just that they don't impose the religion onto other people. I think the second part that maybe I am not stressing is that they don't let religion dictate. Certain, de- yeah, certain social decisions. It's not like my parents are like I have personal faith in God, so therefore I don't think gay people should get married. Exactly. You know, like they keep those things like right, pretty separate. separate. Exactly.、Uh, and you know, actually believe in human rights. Right. So. <laughs> right. It's like what I was saying about the abortion thing. Yeah, but like that's. I think that's an important thing to mention because I think if we only had one of those things, it wouldn't work. Right. You know. Yeah. Because、uh, otherwise, if, you, if they didn't have the second thing, it would affect my life. Totally. And also my relationship、totally. with them. You know, even if they weren't saying you have to go to church, if they said, "Well, you know what I believe,"、yeah. I think because of the Bible, like I don't think a bunch of people have you know basic human rights.、Mm. I would be. Be an issue. That would be a big issue, you know. Make Thanksgiving a little more tense. Right. Right. Um, did when was the last time you remember them going to church and like bringing you and your brother to church? Were y'all doing that in high school in San Diego? 
When was the last time you were in a Korean church? More than a decade ago. I don't know. Were you going with irregularity in high school? Mm-hmm. Okay. I do think I went to at least one service when I was living in San Diego. In high school? I think so. Okay. But, I but mean, that's it certainly enough. did not make an, enough of an impression on me because I can't even recall. Right, so it wasn't a big part of your high school mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. Te- or teenage life. Okay, cool. What was your high school experience like? What do you remember? Well, not what do you remember, but what do you, I mean, you have a clear memory of it. What was high school like for you? High school? Yeah. I don't know, high school was fun. I mean, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of school. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I actually really like school. Mm-hmm. Like I love school. Right? Oh, I think too. school is like yeah. the greatest. It's like you just have your job is to learn. Your I mean, job is to learn. You don't have that perspective as a child, but hang out and hang out, right? Like learn to make like, friends. Literally, you, all you have to do is like go sit, learn a bunch of stuff, and then you just hang out with your friends all day. Yeah, school's out by two fifteen. <laughs> Or whatever. You literally have all day to just like hang out. Yeah. You're driving. I mean, I started driving at what, 15 and a half? Uh huh. Like, well, independently, that should be out in San Diego? Yeah, you have your permit. You can't drive other people until you're 16. But I got my learner's permit at 15 or 15. And you only need six months and you can drive by yourself? Uh huh. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so 15 and a half, we're like driving around. Um. <laughs> And I don't know, like high school was a ton of fun. I mean, same with college, same with law school. Like anytime there's schooling, like I think it's like the greatest gift. I don't have any more. Ask Dada. It's it's lost on the young though, right? Like you don't have the perspective, at least I certainly didn't as a kid. That's like, oh, my only job is to learn about the world you don't get to have and make friends. Like, I don't so know. Cool. I, I kind of love school as a student too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I don't think most people yeah. have that perspective as a kid. Uh, no. You don't get to have my rings. Stop giving her just single layers. <sighs> so when you are going to, in high school, you're thinking, oh, well, first question is social. By the time you made it to high school, you've now had two years of assimilation. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> And so did you feel like in high school, when you started this high school, you're like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I feel like I'm part of the culture now. I'm excited about high school. Do you remember feeling like comfortable? This is my life. This is my home. This is my path. Yeah, but it was like, I don't think I ever felt not that. Right. I think even when I like could hardly speak English, I didn't really feel that out of place. Got you. You know, I was like, yeah, whatever. We'll figure it out. Like, uh, I don't really quite understand everything that you just said, but I will give you some kind of an answer. Right. It may be not what you asked me, but here's my answer. Right. Was, I don't know. I think I always kind of had like a, not a YOLO perspective, (laughs) 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 but like... Oh, I can see little 13-year-old recently immigrated Korean immigrant Sue just being like YOLO, guys. But but you know what I mean? Like, I never really felt out of place. Gosh, I, I understand know. exactly what you mean. And I remember Lucas, Lucas has described to me 
to me one-on-one and then also I've been part of a conversation of Lucas describing to other people like y'all meeting you and Lucas meeting in college and like Wait, his first law school. In, law, in law school and like his first impressions of you and his first impressions of you were kind of like Ugh. Oh god, like this girl. <laughs> like this girl's too much. Like, like I extra. hate girls like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like kind of the the way he described it, who, who you were in law school is that you were kind of like uh, uh, you were at the kind of the top of the social order and played a prominent role within the the, the law school society, right? <laughs> <laughs> that makes it sound very silly. But so, how quickly do you feel like you rose to that position within your peer group? How quickly do you well, feel like you're like a social leader, a popular kid? So in high school, like I, I wasn't like the popular kid, right? But it was also. But you did. I imagine you didn't have trouble making friends. No, okay. like I had no enemies. Right. Um, and I didn't have anyone that I didn't feel comfortable talking to. Right. Um. But I wasn't like. You didn't feel be, like you were the. But I wasn't man. gonna be like the prom queen. Right. But I was like the person who was like running for student government yeah, exactly. and like whatever. Yep. And that was always kind of true, just from the beginning. Right. I think I. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying this phrase a bunch, but for better or worse, like I have kind of an overpowering personality, uh-huh. and nothing was gonna keep that down. Right. Um, Did you were do you remember being conscious of that as a high schooler, like being conscious of your personality, comfortable with your personality, confident with your personality, or did that kind of awareness and consciousness of who you were as an individual come later in life? I don't know. I'm pretty loud, and that's like you can't unsee that. Right. Like I have always had kind of an understanding that I have a dominant personality. Uh huh. Um, and so that's always the case. Yeah, I think that, but I think that was actually always the case. Like even as a kid, 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 yeah, yeah. Like that's just always been my personality. Right. Um, Going in, but yeah, sorry. like I wasn't like like the prom queen or or like the popular kid, but. Uh, it was a small school. Like, we had, like, 110 kids. Right. And as far as I know, like, everyone kind of liked each other. Probably. And we all, like, got along. I still have very good friends uh, from high school. Um, with, like, it's... My relationships have kind of shifted. Like, the ones that I was the closest to while in high school um, aren't, like, my best friends from high school now. There's, right. like, some uh, overlap, okay. but... Um, although I've recently reconnected with like some of the ones that I was like super close with in in high school Um, but yeah I mean high school was fun I mean I I was my main group of friends in high school were like we were like the smart kids we were like the ones who took all the AP classes together um and yeah like it was I would describe it as like nothing super extraordinary but like it was it was just like high school like I mean, I was a good kid like I didn't have any you know like discipline issues right like it wasn't like oh I mean there were parties 
but I wasn't the one going and like getting drunk and whatever like I didn't drink in high school like I was like fairly straight placed in, in that way like I genuinely liked school wanted to do well uh, I was also like pretty politically active also oh, really? in high school like um, I had this one still do have this friend um, Anna uh, and she and I used to like go to peace rallies on UCSD campus oh in high school in high school with all these like college kids um, and we would go to like political meetups with like all these adults we were like 16 year olds basically it would be like you know, if a 16-year-old who, like, couldn't even vote went to, like, the Biden-Harris campaign now and said, Are you, like, like, what do you need help canvassing with? for gore or something? No, we went to a few um, meetups for... Oh, my God. Remember Howard Dean? Yeah. We went to... Is a it few, Democrat? Yeah. Oh, the yeller. Yeah, but he was, like, the one... Everyone remembers him as, like, the guy who was, like, yelling all the states... I remember him as a guy that, like, just ended the speech, just kind of lost in one. Yeah! yeah! And that kind of, like, changed like, his campaign. I was like, who's this crazy guy? Yeah, but at the time, he was, like, the progressive voice. Right, he was hot at the time. You know, and, like, he, he was, like, not not the AOC of our generation, but, like, he was, like, the progressive right. ticket at the time. But that's, yeah, we used to go to, like, political meetups that's so for this funny. guy. Just like with all these like retirees, probably. <laughs> and my in high school, my parents started um, working, and they uh, started uh, flipping restaurants. Uh, and in the process, they also worked in the restaurant because that's you know like to make build it up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, flipping restaurants. I've never heard of that. Yeah, kind of like flipping houses. Like right, they yeah. would just get kind of a crappy restaurant, like build it up and then sell it. Wow. Um, and they did like a few of those. Um, but it also meant that like they were working a bunch now, yeah. all of a sudden, like in my high school years. Uh, both my parents were working. Um, and like I... Yeah, I remember spending a ton of time at my parents' like restaurant, like helping out sometimes. Were they Korean restaurants or just any kind of restaurant? It was a mix. They had um, they had like a very like American breakfast type of a restaurant. Uh-huh. Uh, they had two of those. I imagine like not, a not, not place. all at the same time. Like but. fiesta time, and your dad's like in the back, like whipping up enchiladas no, or something. <laughs> no, they were never like in the kitchen kitchen. They were more like um, right managing the business aspect of things. Or like serving. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah. No, and they, they would like hire a chef. They like I didn't get a new better chef in there, or whatever, and class to join up a little bit or whatever. Yeah. Got you. Um, and then they had a Japanese restaurant, like a sushi restaurant, um, and. They also had. They did have a Korean restaurant at one point, but that was that came much later. Um, but yeah, like we had a. I never knew that. So much I'm learning. Yeah, that's so cool. Like we had a, restaurant flippers. Yeah, I remember that. From high school years to like spending a ton of time there, I mean, 
I'm, I'm sure I know you're a few years younger than I am, but like we were like the AIM generation. Oh, that's my generation yeah. too. So we're the same. Spent, yeah, we have, we the same experience. Yeah, so I just we had a pre-internet started. childhood mm-hmm. transitioned into the internet age yeah. with AIM and AOL. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the yeah. same same experience. Yeah, so like our, most of my high school memories are like on AIM, just like hours on AIM. Hours on AIM. So crazy. Like, why don't you just call them up? I don't know, but but it was also you could chat with everybody. Is the thing we were doing homework at like one or two in the morning Mm -hmm. and like just AIMing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just like that was cool, man. That was was I just I remember not really. I didn't really sleep much in high school. Not much has changed. Well, I I slept even less. (laughs) Then then now, yeah. But that was like by choice. Yeah, I would stay up until two, three in the morning. And in high school, like you get up super early, right? Like school starts early. early. Yeah, it's crazy. So I would be up by six. But I was totally fine. Like getting three, four hours of sleep was like, oh, I feel super energized. And I had like, you think I'm, I mean, I don't really feel that high energy anymore. But like... I was super high energy, like bouncing off the walls all the time. Oh, really? Just like I had so much energy. Yeah, that's kind of the Luca, the person Lucas describes to me when he met. Her. Yeah. Because Lucas is not that. Not that Lucas doesn't, you know, have energy. Yeah. But Lucas yeah. is much more of an introverted, reserved person. Um, you wouldn't know. He's definitely not bouncing off right, the walls. Like right. Like if you could rewind to like my. <coughs> like. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> honestly like obviously COVID has changed a lot of things but mm-hmm. also like motherhood has changed a lot yeah. of things and like those two things combined happening mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. like I feel like the last year and a half I've experienced more mama, of a personality mama, change than my mama, mama. <sighs> yes <laughs> perfect timing mama. That's not mama. I that's wonder where all your energy went. It's just like you see how energetic she is, and she's like always bouncing off the walls a little bit. Like uh-huh. this is what I was like always. Right, you've transferred it. That's motherhood, right? And, oh my god, maybe. I keep thinking that I'm gonna get it back. That like one day I'm gonna wake up and kind of feel like myself again, but mm-hmm. it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, it happened, <laughs> COVID, COVID also happened in conjunction with COVID. Yeah. I mean, I know I definitely literally, and this is woo-woo stuff, but I believe that I literally get energy, like, you know, this force, God, talk about God, that's what God is to me. To me, what God is, is the connection of all of us to one another. That's what God is to me. There is a power greater than ourselves. It's the unity of humanity. It's the collective energy force of humanity. That is God. Each of us are a small part of God. That's what I, you know, I believe. And so being in COVID, it's like, I'm not with God anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm godless. I'm in a godless existence. I don't get to, I don't get to be a part of the broader unified energy force of humanity. I am just with my small part of God. And that to me is really energy draining. As soon as I get around other people, it's like... That's an interesting. It's way like your mo- Liz was telling me the describe other. It. Yeah, that's what that's how I view reality. You know, we all have. It's like that life going back to abortion. I don't want to go back to it, but it's like when the sperm fertilizes the egg. It's like 
once again, I don't want to, I don't believe like in religious terms and I 1000% believe in more than anything. If there's a guiding God principle of anything, it's that all of us are individuals and should be able to dictate the direction of our lives without virtually any restriction. And so do whatever the hell you want with, uh, you know, a conceived egg. But I believe when the egg is conceived, a human is force is generated, right? A little light force is generated. That's a soul, quote unquote soul, for lack of a better word. You know, and that soul, that light, light force exists within all of us. Like this, like ball of beaming light exists within all of us, and that's what humanity is. That's what makes us human. And but that light force, that soul energy, is everyone has it. And to truly become like powerful and experience the true godness of existence is 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 tapping in to that energy force that connects Alex to Sue, Sue to Lucas, Lucas to Jojo, to the dudes across the street, to the guy, you know, the gardener. Like we're all connected, all of our little light balls, our souls, all are connected to one another. And that unified force, that's God, in my opinion. But in, in COVID, it's like you you don't get to tap into that unified energy force very often, or if at all, in quarantine. And so that to me is where I feel the energy journey come from. It's like I don't get to tap back into the God force. Um, I've never heard it being described in that way. I think for me, the the way that I've been kind of understanding it is that um, like I am a textbook extrovert. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, like if I am in a crowded room, like I literally light up. That yes, and like I get exactly. energy from like personal interactions, and like Lucas and I used to talk about it all the time. Like, say that we go to a party and we come home, the first thing that Luke wants to do is like. Oh, like I just want to go to bed like I have no energy because mm-hmm. I've been spending it like socializing mm-hmm. and I'm like now what like I have so much yeah. energy and like I can't go to sleep now like I and then I would be up for like hours when he goes to sleep just like I mean when we used to live with like Brian and Timmy they would all go to sleep and I would clean the entire apartment by myself because I was up and I'm like ah ah like what do I do with all this energy you know, so like to me, um, like I don't. First of all, like I just, I don't believe in God at all. Um, and to me, it's not that like COVID is, you know, by definition harder for extroverts versus introverts. But I think as a, an extrovert, my personal experience has been like I have no way to recharge you know like I don't get energy from like holding up and like relaxing even like I honestly like I don't really enjoy relaxing all that much I mean you may have noticed like I just like if I have like free time like I I'm kind of like ah like I want to go do something but I can't yeah we talked about that doing this interview today you were like looking very tired before we started this interview and we were putting Jojo down from her nap and Lucas was like do you want to take a nap? And then I asked you, do you want to take a nap? And then we both kind of looked at each other like, that's not actually going to happen, like, is it? I'm not going to take like, a I'm nap. Yeah. Uh, and like, I feel more energized now because we've been like hanging talking. out and like mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, what's been really hard about this is not only do I, um, 
not get an, an opportunity to recharge, but also that it's really made me question uh, who I am and what I am because I've been forced to be in like social isolation for so long. And I mean, I've survived, right? And I have kind of shifted my priorities. So I'm spending a lot more time doing work, a lot more time doing solitary tasks, a lot more time avoiding things that I used to enjoy. And now I question like who, am, who I am, you know? Like, am I even an extrovert anymore? Has it really been that like maybe I've been an introvert all along and I've been lying to myself that I'm an extrovert? Like, once the world opens back up, I'm going to go back, yes? Or am I just going to be this, like, kind of depressed, like, person living in isolation and this is going to be, like, my new being from now on, you know? So, like, that's been, like, another layer of difficulty for me because it's really made me question who I am, you know? Dude, you are echoing... You might as well have just extracted my view of COVID directly out of my brain. Yeah, I feel the exact. But I think it's also because like we're super different, but also kind of like really similar in some ways. No toca, te dije tres veces. No toca. Like Um, I think our views are like like kind of strangely similar. Yeah. Well, I think who we are as human beings at our core is very similar. Yeah. Um, and I, I could not agree with you more of what you yeah. did. Uh, yeah, it just, just it makes me like, question, who like, who am I? Am I? Yeah. It strips, it strips, so, and this is not, I don't think, and at the end of the day, I don't think Ali, it's just you Ali, and us are extroverts. Ali, yes, Jojo. Allie's not going to come. You need to go hang with Dada for about 45 more minutes. Yeah, no toca. No toca. Um, yeah, it's like, it takes, it, uh, it strips down everything you thought you were and yeah. it exposes yes. your actual bare essence. Yes. yes. There's no construct. Yeah. It's like I'm not an uh I'm not uh like the class clown or like the life of the party anymore. I'm not like for me personally, like I'm not like the bro at the gym. I'm not this romantic partner. <laughs> I'm nothing. I'm just a being that exists with time every day and like what do I do with my time? Yeah. Yeah, bubble boo boo Jojo. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny you said this. I, I have a couple comments on that. Is um, one Liz was telling me this the other day because I was talking to her about quarantine when they first got here. Liz, you mentioned earlier, she's your mother in law. And she was right when they first got in on that uh, a week ago on, fr- on Friday. You know, we were just sitting down where y'all are finishing up work, just catching up. Hey, how quarantine's been? How's quarantine been? And she's kind of, I think she's kind of asking me about like, what about like your friends here in LA? Like, have you seen them at all? And I was like, what friends? And she's like, no, like those people that are at JoJo's birthday party. Like you knew all those people. And I was like, I knew no one there. I knew Sam, the one girl that I invited, I knew Sam, but I, I knew no one. She's like, oh, you seemed like you were interacting with everyone and knew everyone and they were kind of like running around talking to everybody. I was like, that's, that's who I am. Like, that's why quarantine is so hard. Cause like, that's when I feel like I'm like alive. And, you know, it's just strange. Oh, cool, strangers. Let's talk to everybody about whatever. You know, and you're the same way. And now none of that is here. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to comment on in line with that was I see it in you when you're on the phone for work. Because you and Lucas now work from home as lawyers, right? And we all see each other every day as kind of like, 
whoever like we wake up this next day as in quarantine. But I'll catch glimpses of you throughout the day as you're working, especially and especially when you're on the phone with another person. It's like you are your your personality like kind of explodes yeah. and i can see this kind of brightness and light yeah. to you you're like laughing or talk even if it's not a joke conversation but often i feel like i'm walking by y'all's office yeah. and you're like cracking some joke or laughing on the phone yeah. i'm like oh that's sue you know none of us get to truth it's weird because majority of the time that we've been living together like i haven't been that person no me either you basically First of all, you've only seen me in like postpartum depression. <laughs> and second of all, like for, for, for a part of it, it's like postpartum depression plus like COVID. So you've like never seen me in like my normal yep. state of being. Yep. Yep. And it's so sad because every once in a while, I'm like, I swear I used to be kind of fun. <laughs> but you get glimpses of it. Like last night, you were sitting in the living room here chilling. Like, just like, I don't know, me and you just hang out and you're like, we need to have a Halloween party. <laughs> oh my God. And me of all people, I'm like, all right, dude, yeah, if you want to do it, let's fucking do it. So, by the way, I think we got, we got one up, so we have to revisit that conversation, but that's another thing. Oh, there's another Halloween party? Oh, anyway, different conversation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So we were at high school. Entering high school, did you... I guess you did. You talked about being a, a Korean elementary school student and bringing in thinking about like I'm going to Harvard. So entering your college, you knew there was a there was a destination at the end of your high school experience. It's like make really good grades so you can get into the best college possible. Yes. And I imagine you had like a high standard of what that college yes. was going to be or tier of colleges was going to be. Yes. Okay. I haven't heard the phrase make grades since I was teaching. Yeah. Like that's like something that my kids used to say. Yeah. Like that phrase make grades. Like you're the only Make the grade, baby. That's so funny. Like that maybe I don't know if that's like a southern phrase. Oh uh, maybe. But like make yeah. grades, yeah. Like you most people don't say make grades. I say make grades. Yeah, I I know you do, but I'm just saying, like, it is a sudden thing. Yeah, that's, the, that's the last time that I heard people like say make grades. Like, ask, look, like, a, what would you say? Get good get grades. grades. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would defer to make. Yeah, but all my kids said make grades. Yeah, and I was like, what is what do you make? What I don't get. But anyway, but I don't know if that was like a New Orleans thing. Maybe it was a southern. Make thing. good yes. grades. Yeah. Make good grades. Yeah, that's the term. But you right. get good grades. You don't just get them. <laughs> I just hand it to you. You I, make have, them okay, happen. Okay, we have to take a poll. <laughs> I I think maybe it's a regional thing. That's not. Not just like oh, an A, cool, thanks. Uh, oh, I didn't know what I was going to get. No, okay. you make it happen. Okay, you either I'm made gonna, an F no, or you made an A. We're gonna take a poll. <laughs> anyway, so you knew I must make good grades. <laughs> In order to get into college, so that's what you were doing. Yeah, I knew I had to get good grades too. <laughs> by by the benevolence of some grade giver, the grade giver in the sky must oh give me God. the grades. I must get them. Oh God, I hope I get them. I hope it chooses me. No, you well, I was it. chosen. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was like, you know, we've talked about it before about how for us growing up. Like, not going to college wasn't really an option. Mm -hmm. Like, we always thought of as, like, obviously you go to college. Yep. 
like in my brain it wasn't just that like obviously I'm gonna go to college it was like oh obviously I'm gonna go to like an Ivy League school Uh like that was always kind of like in the back of my back of my mind I think she went upstairs maybe I think it better oh Obviously, I'm going to go to an Ivy League school. Yeah, like that was more of a thought process. So it's not like all of a sudden in high school, I decided like, oh, at the end of this road is X school, but more like from the beginning, like obviously I'm going to end up at X school or like I better end up at X school. No. Allie, see. No, Georgia. And, like, Chicago, I mean, I'm super happy uh, that that's where I ended up. Uh, And I, like, obviously can't imagine having, going to any other school. But that was not my first choice school. University of Chicago was not your first choice school? That was not, that was, like, Were you applying to, like, Harvard, Yale, Princeton? I only applied to Ivy League schools. Like, Berkeley was my safety school. (laughs) It's a state school. That's disgusting. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, Berkeley was my safety school. Right. I'm going to sound like a dick on this. No. <laughs> Step your game up, people. <laughs> like, she's, not, she's not, you know. <laughs> like, I'm going to sound like a dick on this podcast, but I mean, I'm no, just, t- like I'm just telling you what it was. Like, that's, that, that's what it was. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was my safety school. So, Chicago Were you disappointed when Chicago's where you ended up? In the beginning, yes. Okay. I was like like devastated uh, partially in the beginning I mean okay. I kind of like came around to it by the end of gra- by the time you graduated uh, probably before then okay. I mean I think by the time that I made a commitment I was like okay like this is a good school like it'll be fine mm-hmm. but like I'm still like a little butthurt that I didn't get into Yale I mean I connect so it's just degrees, right? It's it's it. What 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 league are you playing in, right? Are you playing in the majors leagues like Sue? Are you playing in like Triple A like I was? So for me, I had a similar experience, right? It was you, everyone wanted to go to University of Georgia. Everyone that was going to be the coolest social experience. Yeah. It was a good school. I mean, it's obviously not Ivy League, but for a state school, but you weren't like going to pay for school, it, you know? And it's free. Yeah. It's totally free. It's yeah. so like even this. And I took all APs and stuff. I was I would have been in class with you, but I would have been, you know, struggling to get by. That's where I was in high school. Um, but I didn't get into that school, and I, I've gone over yeah. the details of that in another podcast. I won't I won't rehash them. I got I got a academic scholarship to another state school, South Carolina, but I didn't get into school I wanted to, and I still was going to have to pay a little money to go to yeah. South Carolina. So I had a similar experience. Where I was like, what the, what the hell is this? Yeah. I was supposed to go to UGA. You know, yeah. you're thinking like, I'm supposed to go to Harvard. Yeah. I'm going to Chicago? What is this BS? And I'm like, I'm going to South Carolina, and you know, both perfectly fine schools, but I understand the, I understand. Yeah, the it was, yeah, it was, I got, I got, I applied early to Yale, and I got, deferred and also like I think I was I had too much unnecessary pride in high school so like by comparison like when I was applying to law school um, 
I got waitlisted everywhere. And even Chicago, which is where I ended up going back to for law school, I got off the waitlist. But most schools I got waitlisted. But in high school, in contrast, um, I was so proud that any place that waitlisted me or deferred me, I asked to get off the wait list. Uh, <laughs> so who knows? Maybe I would have gotten. Why? Who knows? Maybe I would have gotten because I was like, I don't want to be your fucking second choice. If you don't think. But I'm there's good. no downside in the long. You were just. Pride. I was that proud. Pride. I wow, was like, that's crazy. If you. You specifically reached out to. <laughs> I specifically like, either there was like a postcard that you could send or you could call. Like I specifically asked to get off. I said, I don't want to be your second choice. Like, I don't care. Like, if you don't think wow. I'm good enough to make the first cut, like, right. fuck you guys. How much do you think the Asian thing played into high undergrad in, in law school admission? Um, I think it played more of a role in undergrad. In law school, like, honestly, like, I really hung out <laughs> in college and my grades were right. like mediocre, right. like above average were mediocre. Mm-hmm. So I think my law school admissions uh, were so mostly accurate. based on grades merit. and merit. Yeah. Um, my college admission, I do think uh, my race played a role, but I don't think it was the fact. I don't think it was a a race thing alone. I think it was also race plus my immigration status. Right. Uh, Because at the time that I was applying for colleges, like, I was a total foreign national. Are you a citizen? I'm just occurring to you right now. I guess you are. You're married. I I am now. I mean, I'm voting, right? Um, Were you not a citizen until you married Lucas? No, I I was. I, I became a citizen in my first year of law school. Okay. So not until 2013, 2012. Okay. That just occurred to me now. Yeah. Um, so back in 2004, when I was applying to colleges, 2003, really, 2003, 2004, um, I was not a U.S. citizen. And not only was I not a U.S. citizen, I wasn't even a permanent resident. So I was like a foreign national. Like I didn't even have a social security number. Whoa. Uh, so like, it, and my college guidance counselor did kind of explain this to me. And I don't know how much of it is like the truth versus what the because I know what the counselor told me, right? Because it's not like I'm talking to all these colleges myself. But how she explained it to me is, I mean, I clearly had better grades than a bunch of other people who um, did end up getting in um, but I'm assuming your grades were essentially just like perfect no they weren't perfect but they were pretty good right uh, like I was nowhere near like valedictorian but I was like top 10% right um, um, but what she explained to me is that because of my uh, immigration and race like situation, um, I essentially uh, had to go through the application process tw- 
twice where a lot of times they kind of compare you to your peers Mm -hmm. you know say that like out of this school we're gonna take like three kids Mm -hmm. you know but she said in addition to that they would also compare me against the foreign incoming class from korea right who had like 1600 sats or whatever like crazy grades that i had or that they had like my grades were good but i mean i didn't get 1600 on my sats Mm -hmm. Uh, I got pretty close, but it wasn't that. Right. So if there are a bunch of like, you know, if there are multiple kids who have 1600s plus like they were literally the top of their class in like the country, like they, that's a much better candidate than, than I right. am. Um, so that's kind of like how she explained it, that like I, my application was reviewed essentially twice. Um, Again, like, I don't know how much of that was her just trying to be comforting. Yeah. So. To be like, you know, because I think they were also surprised at the uh-huh. schools that I didn't get into. Because uh, she was the one who was like, she. Encouraging you to, do, to apply to the well, school. Well, she didn't even think I should apply to Chicago. I kind of I kind of added it. And I was like, ah, what if, you know? I need like a mid, mid layer. <laughs> But she just wanted me to basically just do the IVs in Stanford and whatever, mm-hmm. um, and like the UC schools. Uh, and that, that so if you hadn't applied to Chicago, you probably would end up at what, Berkeley? Berkeley, probably. Yeah. Um, or so. like, um, I did apply to some other like mid schools, like Georgetown. So I could have ended up at Georgetown or Berkeley. Probably. My like smartest friend. I mean, I hung out with, I hung out with everyone pretty much, but like the kid and of my close friends that was like the academic dude, mm. and really within the school more broadly. And we're talking, you know, a, a class of a thousand, or maybe a little less than that. He was respected as like at the top of our class. He went to Georgetown. Like Georgetown was kind of the pinnacle. Mm of my high school graduation. I went to like a really big suburban Atlanta public school. It wasn't like some product school by any means. I think maybe we had one kid who went to Brown. But like, yeah, Brown, Georgetown, that been. Yeah. That was the pinnacle of- I mean, those are great schools. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fantastic schools. Yeah. But I really <laughs> thought I was gonna go to Yale, so. Yeah. <laughs> so you get, but you came to terms with by the time you graduated. And yeah, you, and before that, I think by the time that I committed to, I mean, as soon as I was like, fuck you, take me off your wait list, right. I think yeah. I had already been like, right. whatever, like, I don't, you don't want me, I don't want you. Right. Uh, and I had kind of, I'm like still a little bitter about it, like conceptually, like, yeah. why didn't I? Yeah. But um, I also know that, like, I couldn't. Have imagined a better college experience, so you know it's kind of like um, what do they call it? It's like the endowment effect. You know, have you heard of that? Endowment effect is like I think there was like a social experiment where, in like the beginning of class, like everybody got either like a pen or a mug, you know, and then like maybe you like I don't know exactly how like the experiment went. 
but like the conclusion being like whatever it was that you were assigned or you were given you just you ended up putting more value into that object so you thought like if you were handed a mug you're just like a mug is obviously better than a pen or whatever so um i think there's like a little bit of that in play like Uh i was given chicago and i went like wholeheartedly into that experience and in my mind now i'm like obviously chicago's the best undergrad yeah there is like in the nation in the world like that is literally the best undergrad institution you know what i mean like and i like really do kind of believe that <laughs> like i am like I am, like i am all in like i really just think that it's the best undergrad education that you could get i feel the same way about university of georgia not undergrad education undergrad experience more yeah. broadly um so you thoroughly enjoyed your college experience. Yeah. What did you think you were going to study going in? Politics. What, politics? Is that what you ended up graduating in, political no. science? What did you end up studying? I ended up studying poetry. Did I, you? Yeah, I graduated with a degree in comparative literature, uh, focusing on 20th century American poetry. Whoa, I didn't know that. That <laughs> does not seem in line with you. I was super whatever. So you turned, did, did a conversion process happen where you left high school as like this rabid, intellectual, it's so crazy to think of a high schooler like that because it's totally not who I was. Yeah, was like, like the person going, person going Politically to active, intellectual, and then you go off to college and you're more like, oh, there's more to life than, you know, studying and marching in the streets you know we need to appreciate art and is that kind no, of, no? Okay. that's not what happened <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> i do think arts uh education is important and that like you know, it's funny too your mom studied art and you studied yeah. art well kind of Literally. humanities <laughs> gotcha um so i was convinced that i was gonna like Honestly, like, I thought I would wanted to go into politics, like, become a politician. When was this? Like, in high school. Like, right, applying right. to colleges. Yep. Like, I'm going to be, like, a diplomat or, like, yep. a senator one yep. day. That's the image um, I have. Yep. Yeah. And um, I went and I started taking poli-sci. <laughs> Wouldn't that, like, take a turn? Like I mean, that would be an that explanation be. for how you go from rabid political person to, like, poetry person is you had some sort of psychedelic experience, but no, I'm imagining that's not what happened. Not at all. Um, I got very disillusioned with politics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no other way to put it, right? Like, I, I got very disillusioned. Uh, 2004. Uh, was that what a big impetus was, the 04 election? Um, I mean, it's part of it, but I think it's also like reading more into political history uh, and my kind of feeling like, what's the point? Like, we are just all a cog, you know, uh-huh. in this like political machine. And like, I don't feel like, you know, we could, I could really 
do anything meaningful and I, I got I mean I are you just know. like copying the way I feel now are you just being a poser is this some sort of trolling you're doing right now <laughs> well that's not really how I feel anymore I know I know I know but that's what it's... I to like to an 18 year old Sue who was like I'm gonna be a senator one day mm-hmm. and like learning about the political process and, and all of that was like kind of an eye-opening thing oh, and mm-hmm. I was like oh gosh like what's the point mm-hmm. like everyone is dirty mm-hmm. like you don't really make a difference mm-hmm. like what's the point you don't point? really believe what you're saying yeah and I just like there is really no other way to put it other than describe it as just disillusionment mm-hmm. and I said I can't like I don't believe in it anymore so um I kind of pivoted, and it's not that I fell into poetry per se, but I just started taking, I was a double major um, in poli-sci and English, so I started taking English classes uh, and philosophy, uh, and I got super interested in uh, how people communicate and how people express their thoughts. Um, and that first started out as like, so I dropped poli-sci, and then I became an English philosophy double major. Uh, and um, there, there are like two kind of main divisions of, within philosophy, one of which is analytic philosophy, which is uh, less about like what you stereotypically think about philosophy classes like on ethics and morals and like whatever mm-hmm. but analytic philosophy is more about logic and like uh, and, and, you know stuff like that and I got uh, also super into uh, there's a branch called philosophy of language and it's just like kind of exactly what, what, that, what that sounds like you know just how people communicate thoughts and like how words kind of like you know like how you use words uh and like how that impacts you know actually i learned pretty recently that impact um is not a verb so even though we say this is this little fun fact uh apparently impact is only a noun and you're not like grammatically speaking uh, like using it as a verb is incorrect. So if you were to say the sentence you just said, how yeah, or whatever you just said about words impact language. Or yeah, I would say like effect or influence or right. something like Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to. Go, I'm Sue, trying continually, to continuing to be the English expert. <laughs> no, I'm just you in know, a household of American white English speakers. I'm trying to break myself out of that habit of what uh, of saying impact. <laughs> What? I don't want to sound ignorant. That's such a quarantine resolution. Like, man, you're really digging to the bottom of the barrel of, like, self-improvement and reflection. Yeah. Like, God, uh, November, I'm really going to get out of the habit of saying impact. But, I mean, you kind of have to make a conscious effort, though, you know, to, like, yeah. break out of certain habits. I just wouldn't make that effort at all. I just feel you know, accepted for what it is. No, I'm just... What's what's life if you're not continuing to evolve, Alex? <laughs> you make a great point. Well, I too. You're, will well, you're welcome for that life lesson. Uh, you know, 
unfortunately, your daughter, who's, you know, curling in front of your face, she will never grow up using impact as a verb. JoJo, I vow. Although I didn't mean to look it up, and then I haven't yet, so who knows? Maybe, so maybe there's a, maybe there's a colloquial mess. use for it that, you know, this partner is not aware of. <laughs> so, but anyway, so... Um, there was a point where, like, I assume you officially undeclared as yes. poli sci yes probably water was that like a watershed no, no. i mean it, it happened kind of like well so to back up i think it's kind of crazy that you expect an 18 year old who has never taken Same. a college class to declare a major and to kind of pick a path in life in life uh so it's like, insane I switched my majors a bunch of times. Like, I didn't end up with the major that I graduated with until my junior year. Same here. Because uh, I was just like, I can't decide. Like, I haven't, I haven't even, I don't even know anything about I know, yeah. I know nothing. Like, how am I supposed to declare it's anything? It's really like undergrad shouldn't be anything but... I mean, I just, I think it's crazy. And at least, like, for me, I had the option, but, like... My friends who were pre-med, like, they had no it's choice. Crazy. Like, they literally made a decision when they were, like, 17 that they wanted to become doctors. And then they proceeded to... A lot of these kids probably to, never had sex before, never had, like, a real romantic relationship. Like, there's so much about life. I mean, even still, 30, in our 30s, there's a lot about life you haven't learned. Like, I guess now, as a 32-year-old, really having under made a conscious effort to discover myself and introspect over the last five years of my life, just now, I kind of feel comfortable declaring a major. As a 32-year-old, I would be like, oh, okay. And I would say, like, finance. <laughs> like, something very, it's so crazy, but like, oh, if I'm going to take four years to dedicate towards a path, well, I want to come out of there with a monetizable skill, certainly. And, like, the what is, like, the biggest aspect of this engine of society it's money and like granted I wish it wasn't so but if I'm going to dedicate four years to like learning how the world works and coming out the other end like a powerful part of the machine or whatever finance this is like <laughs> and I never would have said that even five like years ago path dependency and whatnot. like if I went back now I would choose the same thing that I ended up with poetry not po but like literature gotcha. because um, uh, so kind of the conclusion that I ended up with through first of all like so I got super into like the English and philosophy uh, and the combination thereof uh, but both those majors had like so many restrictions like if you wanted to be an English major you had to take oh, right. like one one play, one poetry, right. one fiction, one right. nonfiction, right. two classes in like pre seventeen hundred literature, two you know what I mean? there were so many restrictions. And at this point as I'm taking more classes, I'm like finding the things that really interest me. And I'm like, I don't wanna have to go take a class in like you know. 16th, 17th century literature. Like, that doesn't interest me, you know? Um, and same with philosophy. Like, philosophy also had, like, a bunch of things. Like, you have to take analytic philosophy, you have to take continental philosophy, you have to take, 
you know, like everybody has to take logic, everybody has to do, you know, whatever. And I was just not quite willing to put up with all the, I didn't want to do all the dirty work mm -hmm. that I didn't want to do. And then I came across this like magical major called comparative literature, <laughs> where like I the only pre the only like catch was that you had to speak another language because it has to be a comparative literature. Uh -huh. And I was like, wait, like I already speak Korean, so I already yeah. need the prereq. So like besides that prereq, how that the, this major worked was um, that was like. The one of two prereqs. One was the language. The second was. And that counted. You spoke Korean. That counts. Yeah, I mean, I had to. You didn't test. have to like learn. You didn't no, have to I had take to Korean. I had to take a test. Okay. And it was like I placed into like Korean four hundred one or whatever, <laughs> and they were just like, oh, you Korean don't. doctor program. Like they're just like, oh, you don't need to take Korean, unless you want to take Korean four hundred one, like whatever it was like. You know. Korean linguistics or something. Yeah, exactly. And like there weren't that many classes in that. Right. Um, 17th century Korean literature. <laughs> uh, nobody spoke Korean then. Um, <laughs> Didn't even exist. Um, Thank you. Good trade, Jojo. Gracias. So. So you studied, discovered this magical major. So the magical major was once I got that prereq out of the way, which I included no work from me. Um, the other prereq was that you had to design your own course. Ooh. So you needed to have a primary focus and a secondary focus that were thematic. Mm -hmm. And you could pick whatever themes you that made sense to you. Right. And as long as you had like an advisor who signed off on it. It's like the role so of my, the role of grass in my, 19th yeah. century American novels. So my first my primary theme was 20th century literature. So I only took 20th, like, literature. Oh, like, the theme could be that broad? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. wait until you hear my secondary theme. My free, So my primary theme was 20th century literature. So I could, I only had to take just, like, whatever classes I wanted to take on, like, 20th century literature. And, like, I literally took, like, a full class just on Ulysses. Like, that was the entire class. We read James Joyce's Ulysses, and that was it. I took a class that was, like, only on, like, 20th century American poetry. I took a... You know what I mean? Like, so I could focus on the things that I really cared about. My secondary theme was themes of modernism, which could be literally anything. Like, what does that even mean? So I would go take, like, an art history class, a philosophy class, you know. So, sorry, I think when you were describing the major, you said you could design your own course. Oh, not, not a course, Course of I guess. study. Course of study, yeah. Got you. Yeah. yeah. Your major. You get to design, you design your, your own major. major. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, That's crazy. Yeah, my secondary theme was themes of modernism, literally. And I just took whatever classes I wanted to take, and I just put it under there. So like, what did you love your major? So like, I got a super. So when it's time to sign up for classes, basically, like you're basically just logging on to like the class portal in the sense of just choosing what you want to take. Yeah, and then just fitting yeah. it, making it. It's fit. not like you were gonna take like chemistry no. anyway, you know. No. Wow, that's pretty. So cool. like, my undergrad experience ended up being 
very much a grad school experience. And Chicago has a setup where um, basically starting your second year, if you could like get approval or whatever, or like once you get to a certain level, you can take any cross-listed course. So most of my cross-listed meaning undergrad and grad. Okay. So most of my classes in my third and fourth year of college, um, like any given class, the makeup was like maybe a third undergrad, maybe a third master's students, and maybe a third PhD student. Oh, wow. Like these are like people getting PhDs in English language and literature at University of Chicago that I'm taking classes with. So like, and because I'm like designing my own major, I can just choose to take any of these classes. And because for them, like they obviously have a focus, right? Because they're getting their doctorate. So I'm taking all the same classes as these people. So I got a super grad school-y experience. And I think that made a super enriching college environment. Mm -hmm. You know, that like. Because you're into school already. Yeah. And like that obviously like brings up the ante on all the discussions too, right? Because everyone is super thoughtful. Um, Not that like undergrads can't be thoughtful but it's a it's a different perspective and somebody who is basically committing to a life of you know studying that yeah. subject or sharing their thoughts versus like a 19 year old which is like what I was degree. doing yeah. right I was oh, probably there's a huge like difference that. there's right. a huge difference just from yeah if you're in an English class in undergrad it could just be anyone trying to make the grade yeah. and you know get on with and just try to party. If, yeah. if it's a master's level class, well, clearly that person is very interested in that level. And then if it's doctorate level, this person is like, is the subject yeah, matter. Yeah, like almost. that person is going to be teaching that class in right. a few years. Right, you exactly. Know? That's cool. Um, and I think one of the reasons that I was able to get that very unique experience is because I picked this major that was like a unicorn of a major. Mm-hmm. You know, that like allowed me to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I'm also very much of the mindset and I don't know if it's because I did end up going to a professional school afterwards and get an advanced degree but I really think that college should be used for studying what you are interested in totally Uh, like I don't think it should be kind of the end all be all for your career life choice a training center for the job you're going to do for the next right like i don't think that's right like so like at the time and still now like i think like i kind of fell in love with poetry you know like i just thought it was so interesting that someone could use words to convey so much more than words just Mm -hmm. say Mm -hmm. And I just got so... And you enjoyed that. Yeah. And I just got so fascinated by the idea of basically somebody writing like, you know, I don't know, 10 lines. And us spending a full semester, (laughs) you know, like a quarter in, in, in Chicago sense, just like talking about it. Like, what does this really mean? Like, how many layers of meaning does this have? And I also fell in love with 
uh, a particular thing called avant-garde poetry where people were taking this form of poetry, this genre, uh, understanding all the conventions and then breaking all the conventions. And like, like the idea of kind of testing the limits of language I thought was a fascinating idea. And I still do find it fascinating. And I still read about it, like, you know, like if I see something, you know, like I, I like to kind of keep up because I am still very fascinated by that idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just... I have a couple big picture questions based on that, what you just said. First one, how, with that type of investment in love of your study, how did your grades get worse? Not, I doubt you had bad grades in college, but you you said that leaving high school, you were like academic superstar, but applying, leaving undergrad and applying to law school, your grades were kind of whatever. How did that, if you were so into your studies, how were you not making equally awesome grades? Mm, I mean, I was like very much uh, in in high school I was I, I mean I, I would say I was like an A minus student uh-huh. but because I was in so many AP classes I got a little bump up uh-huh. and in college I remained kind of an A minus sometimes B plus student gotcha. but you don't get a bump up Right. So my GPA and it's U Chicago and, classes, like a U Chicago English classes, not yeah, gonna be the same I, as my University of South Carolina English class. Yeah. There was zero grade inflation. Right. Like that, I can be confident about. So I remained yeah. a very much an A minus B plus student. Without the book. So in the end, I ended up with like a three five. Gotcha. But the way that the rounding worked out, I had a three point four nine. The way that the so in law school when you're applying and people put you into buckets, the cutoff is three five and up, uh-huh. and then otherwise you're in the next bucket, which is like three two to three four nine. Uh-huh. So because of the rounding, I got put into that bucket. So I was like, basically like the lowest grade point average that you could have. Basically, sure. like if you looked at like the percentiles for. Um, like the grade range of mm-hmm. the people who are accepted, like I would be in like the bottom twentieth percentile of U Chicago acceptees. Yeah, of oh. people who ended up at U Chicago Law. Right. Because there are going to be plenty of people who had like a four point in college. Right. You know, or like even if they maintain an A minus average as a three seven, right? Or right. like whatever, or even three five. Um, but because I had a three four nine, it was like a like oh my god, you didn't even have a three five. Right. My next question was gonna be how did then did you go from poetry avant garde land to law school land? But I forgot there's a transitionary stage. So how did that what how did the talk us through the development of high school political academic poetry Sue to TFA Sue? Honestly, the TFA thing made perfect sense to me because I was disillusioned with the idea of studying politics and getting into politics, but it's not like I stopped caring about social issues, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So those are things that have remained important to me. And in the meantime, I fell in love with English and the language. So really, it seemed like a very natural progression to me that I would want to do TFA because it would give me an opportunity to take like what I really love, which is like language and like, you know, like sharing this like love of like literature and whatever, but uh, for a cause that I believed in. So like to me, it seemed very sequential right and for those that don't know tfa i've mentioned it a bunch of times so i won't go to the big thing of delineated tfa and tfa affiliates multiple times before but it's teach for america basically the military for teaching <laughs> that's all i describe it's the military but we're teaching. all very anti-military yeah ironically <laughs> everyone in it's probably anti-military uh, we're very a lot of bleeding heart liberals yeah we're non-militant uh <laughs> But essentially, you know, they, they recruit <laughs> you out you of college, yeah. send you off to teacher boot camp, and then send you to war. It's that's, true. That's what happens. They send you off to inner city to teach. You mean war schools. against poverty? Yeah. The achievement gap. <laughs> yeah. So where yes. did you apply? Did you apply to New Orleans specifically? Yes. Okay. And you got in, yeah. clearly. Yeah. Um, I actually, New Orleans was my first choice. Uh, so my core uh, each TFA year is called a core uh, so I graduated in 08 graduated college in 08 hey. so I would become an 08 oh. core member of TFA uh, my core was going to be no. the first core back in New Orleans post Katrina so when I was applying for TFA there was also a big push uh, because we they everyone knew that there was going to be a huge need in New Orleans because that's when a lot of kids were going to start moving back right. and have an semblance, semblance of a school year. Right. Uh, and there was a ridiculous teacher shortage in the public school system, as one can imagine. Um, oh, wow. So many wipes, JoJo. So wasteful. Oh, thank you for giving me these wipes. Just on toys, JoJo. Very kind of you. Mama! Yes? Mama. The school district, wasn't the school district you ended up teaching called like the Recovery School District or something? Our That's state? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I ended up, you know, charter, in a public charter, because that was like... New Orleans was going through the charter revolution as, you know... Wasn't everything basically charter New Orleans at the time? No, not when I started. Uh, that was the goal. The goal was to t- take all the no schools toca, Jojo. in the recovery no school district. Put it back, Jojo. I don't need it. I don't want it. I want you to put it back. I want you to put it back. Ponelo in la mesa. Yeah, the goal was to take every single school in the recovery school district and then to turn it into a charter. That was like the charter oh, wow. revolution. Okay. Uh, but my year was the first time that was the beginning of so it. So did they bring in a huge core your year? It was 250. It was big. 
And just for New Orleans. Just for New Orleans. And your institute was just New Orleans. Hmm? Y'all's institute? No. The institute was not very well designed. Um, but that's another, that's a different issue. But to but go they, back. But they send kids to like uh, the Gulf Coast and stuff from your institute? Or was it just New Orleans teachers in your institute? No, it was not. Oh. Um, but yeah, to go back to the first question. Um, so there was a big push uh, within TFA for secondary education and uh, math and science teachers and also for... Uh, a big core in New Orleans uh -huh. but kind of independently I also knew that I wanted to go to New Orleans and be a part of that um, but in ranking the various schools or various regions um, I was also fairly strategic where um, I only ranked uh, big southern cities okay. because I was from the west coast I had gone to school in the Midwest, um, and I was thinking of uh, a place where I was going to end up spending uh, my early 20s, um, and I thought of a place, I wanted to be somewhere that was kind of new and kind of foreign, but also somewhere that I probably was not going to end up settling in. Gotcha. Because it, it, you know, I thought it was important for me to experience right. something just totally out of my right. comfort zone. Yeah, so I think I ranked like... New Orleans post-Katrina meets those criteria. Yeah, I mean, it's true. So, like, New Orleans was number one. I think Atlanta was number two. Uh -huh. I think Nashville may have been number three. Uh -huh. um, and then, like, a few few other, like, southern cities. Uh -huh. um, but to go back to your second question about Institute, there was not... Institute is TFA boot camp. I don't know why they thought it was a good idea this year, but they sent the New Orleans Corps to Phoenix. So now they do it in Atlanta. Now the New Orleans Corps goes to the Atlanta Institute, which makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, just demographics wise and, you know, region. Regional wise? Yeah, it just. Eight hours I as have, opposed to 20. Yeah, like <laughs> I have no idea why they sent us. To Phoenix, but we were in Phoenix, and so it was like the Phoenix Core, New Orleans Core. There may like the Mississippi Delta may have been there, um, and I think there. And then there were a few like smaller, smaller. Cores. It must have been a financial thing, um, or it may have been capacity, because we were on the ASU campus and like um, whatever. Um, it may be that wherever they were hosting in Atlanta wasn't big enough at the time to host both the Atlanta core, which I think is pretty sizable, plus a, a GNO core. Um, so maybe that's why, but I mean, it was all wrong because like I taught as like part of this boot camp, I taught uh, summer school for basically like Bunch of Latino kids. Yeah. <laughs> Spanish speakers. Spanish Spanish speaking children. Um, and then I went to New Orleans and none of my kids were kids. Spanish speaking. They were like my kids were one hundred percent black Americans, you know, like it's I had the same I had the same thing. I, I was like this doesn't like I've literally learned nothing. <laughs> I had the same thing. I taught I ended up teaching 
uh, in a primary well, my school was probably half black, half Latino, roughly. But I taught, and it was elementary. I taught fourth grade, and my institute placement was high school English. Oh my god! And I taught elementary special ed. <laughs> it was, anyway. I mean, uh, it prepares to you be basically honest, to be for honest, whatever. Like, institutes kind. I mean, it's kind of a joke. Yeah. But I mean, it's. I honestly thought institute. I mean, I guess it's more good, effective like, than the two years of master program we had to take. Yeah, that's true. I only had to do a year because I didn't. They didn't have a master's program. <laughs> there are no universities in New Orleans left. Um, <laughs> God. No, they they didn't have the the sister program set up so that we just had to do. We just ended up doing like a cert. Cert. Yeah. Exactly. Which is like expired now for me, so I can never be a teacher again unless I. You teach a charter. Charter will hire anybody. Or like private school. Yeah. You just can't. Oh no. Sue can't go back and be a public school teacher. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I kind of enjoy teaching. Yeah, I teach is cool, but I don't foresee you being a public school teacher anytime soon. <laughs> All right, so let's. Right, we got to. There's so much more I want to talk about. See, I told you, I was like, there is no way that we can capture. I was like, dude, like. Okay, I, but, I have like several more years of storytelling. Like we haven't. We're like just wrapping up college and we kind of skipped most of college. I I intentionally started skipping a lot of questions I had. I had a lot of questions. But anyway, we're getting a good idea. And for me personally, I'm most interested in your childhood just because I don't know that much. Yeah. Um, um, Okay, so how was was TFA overall? Just give us a nice overview (laughs) of the two like most challenging years of your life. Um, I mean, that's the summary, right? I have now... Uh, so, uh, I immigrated to this country at 12, speaking no English. Uh, I've gone to competitive schools all my life. Uh, I now have... Not just competitive schools, like elite schools. I now have a toddler, and I... In the middle of quarantine. Work in the middle of quarantine. And work, I got a 24-hour-a-day job. Yeah, I work a 24-hour shift, but every day. (laughs) Um, this is the first vacation that I've taken since my maternity leave. Um, but TFA was the hardest thing that I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> like, uh, no competition. Yeah. Like, I, I just listed off a bunch of really terrible things that are really, that were, that were really difficult, but like, literally, they pale in comparison yeah. to what that first year of teaching was yeah. like. I mean, I... Literally cried every day for a year. <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but like literally cried every day for what does a that full look, year. What does that look like exactly? Like it's kids not pretty, leave at the end of the much. day, and you're like sitting in your classroom. No, weeping. no, no, no. I would Is never it like throw, happy hour with friends. Would never cry in front of kids. Do you know? No, not in front of kids. I said me? once the day was over and they left. No, it would be like at home, and I'd be like, "What? What is like? What, what have I like, done?" What have I gotten myself into? Yeah. No, that was a part of it, but more also just like, I don't know how to do anything. Yeah. And it's an unsolvable problem. I mean, yeah, you're teaching like, an inner city like, school oh like that. God, it's like, literally I not. I know a, nothing. There is nothing I can do. No, you can't you just, solve the problem. It's like the, the level of helplessness that you feel mm-hmm. is like palpable. Yeah. It's like you're in a burning building. 
and it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll, you know, I'll try to extinguish the fire uh, that's burning the couch, and I'll extinguish the fire that's burning like this coffee table. But like, ultimately, this whole building is or still you, burning around me. Or you just say, oh gosh, I'm just gonna burn in this building. <laughs> yeah. Like this is how my life ends. Like, I'm going to go in trying to put out a fire, and yeah. I'm just going to burn in this building, and yeah. I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, yeah, that's what TFA was like. This is my blankie, Jojo. This is my blankie. This is Ali's blankie. What are you, doing? Why are you taking my blankie for me? Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for telling us about TFA. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. That's that's like the two minute wrap up of TFA. But I mean, it really was like, oh man, it was very meaningful, very meaningful experience, and I think it will. Just as JoJo. That fan no is actually big enough where you could lose a finger. Oh yeah, she likes to take a finger too. You cannot do that, Joe. Um, um, did you know going into TFA that you wanted to go to law school after? No. Not did you have any idea? That's what TFA was for me. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do after. This sounds weird. I was just like, I'll figure, I, hopefully I'll, something will come over this. I don't know. This sounds weird. Maybe, maybe not weird. It shouldn't be weird, but it is because of how many people end up coming out of the TFA experience. But I went into TFA thinking that I could become a lifelong educator. That's good. Yeah. I did too. Yeah. Like I, I went in thinking like, you know. Maybe I'll be like a superintendent one day. Oh, really? I have like all these big dreams always. Um, That's not. I mean, people do that. Yeah. People and that I, we I talk friends, with are I on that friends path. Who are like who have been principals, principals yeah. and district, you know. So you went into TFA thinking this is. Mm-hmm. I went into TFA thinking like okay, I'm this is like a way for me to like marry my interest in social justice and like academics academics yep. like i totally thought like okay this is my path yeah um i thought the same thing going in like i, I don't have any other plans so yeah. let's so just like, do this as to the best of our ability and maybe we'll stick with it forever maybe, yeah you know, so I, I had no plans of law school or really anything beyond um i just kind of wanted to like, I believed in the mission. I I mean, I still do. Um, and, like, I thought, like, maybe this, this could be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bureaucracy kind of got to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I also learned is that, I mean, yeah, so first year of teaching was, like, I mean, I, I feel like I did those kids more harm than good. But I think that's probably what, like, every first year teacher feels mm-hmm. like. Um, second year, I kind of got the hang of it. And I realized that a lot of uh, people um, in like the charter world, especially, uh, started out as classroom teachers, and then eventually, like the way, the kind of like the only way up was for you to transition. Into no, Jojo. 
Transition to what? I'm sorry. Into an admin role. Yeah. Um, and I thought about it. Um, and when I first kind of expressed, like, I might not stay beyond the two years, uh, like, the school that I was at was like, what if we make you this? What if we make you that? You know? And what I kind of realized through that process is, like, the thing that I like about teaching is the classroom. Yeah. Like, I actually enjoy being a classroom teacher, but then I kind of hit a wall where I realized, like, you know, I don't think it's quite enough for me. Like, I don't think I could be a classroom teacher for the next 40 years. Like, I just want something a little more. But the more is that I have to leave the classroom and deal with, like, this bureaucratic BS that I'm not interested in. And if those are the only two way, like, long-term options, there is no future. I don't want to be a part of this. For yeah, me. Totally. Um, so I kind of started thinking about other options. And I considered, Mama. like, yes. Then I considered going into, like, academia. And then I kind of realized <laughs> I'm not smart enough for that. What do you mean? Like, I'm not, a, I'm not smart enough to be, like, a PhD and a professor. Like, I don't, I don't care about one thing. That well, those are two different things. Like, but I'm, Caring I mean, about one thing and being smart enough for one yeah, thing. Yeah, I also don't think things. that I am. No, you definitely are. I think I am, so you definitely yeah, are. I just, I Maybe I have a, I you know, um, disillusional sense of self, but I think it's more accurate you don't care enough about a subject. Or, I should say, I should say it this way. I'm not smart enough to go into academia to teach at the kind of school that I want to teach at. Okay. Well, I still disagree. But <laughs> I understand your point. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it much more focused. Like, I think it's much more focused in interest. Like, what, you want to what, you teach about rocks? Like, you better be super into rocks. You know, it's, I don't, I think it's hard for anyone to be that into a specific area of study. But who knows? Like, you might, I could see you being a law professor at some point. You're not smart enough for that either. There's um, not what? Not smart enough for that either. But, but yeah, so I considered it. And then I kind of was like, oh, like, I'm not. Like, self, you need to accept that you're not smart enough for that path. Was that really your thinking? Was like intellectual ability? I mean, kind of. going to limit me? So I'm gonna go to law school at U Chicago instead. No, it's more like <laughs> I'm gonna take a path of an idiot. Well, it's it's more like okay, like think about what took me to teaching in the first place. It was a combination of like my interest in social justice and um, like reading and writing, like right. interest in like language. There is really. One other job that does those right, yeah, things, and it's being a lawyer, yeah. Because my intent wasn't becoming a corporate lawyer like I am now, right? Like my intent was like becoming a lawyer fighting for like social justice issues, right? And that was like why I went to law school. Um, so like law school to me seemed like yet another uh, kind of a logical step that uh -huh. I took my interests and also my strengths uh, and like melded into a job gotcha um so I, like they seem very different but like i mean they kind of 
take a lot of the similar skills. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's how I kind of landed on law school. But I also kind of knew that once I started going down that path, there wasn't going to be a stopping point. Um, like, think about me now. Like, I... That's what you said, yeah, yeah. Like, I started school... You could not be deeper into lawyer world. Right. But, I mean, I guess you could. I mean, how hard, did it, how hard is it for me to step away? I mean, the only time that I've been able to step away from my job were when I got married and when I had a kid. Yeah. Like, I just... I've been on a nine-day vacation, and on of the nine days so far, we're on day seven. I've worked six out of the seven days. Yeah. Of my like nine-day. I love saying nine vacation. What are you talking about? I think t- yesterday. Oh, today. by the way, the nine vacation days also include Saturdays and Sundays. Yeah. So I worked on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I worked five okay, days out of six. Right. Or today's. Today's Friday, so I've worked five days out of seven. Right. And I will probably try to take tomorrow off, but <coughs> bless you. Thank you. But I will work on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like. And you knew that, so what you're saying is you knew that applying to law school, like, here we go. We're like, not necessarily that I imagined this exact scenario and this life. But I knew that, okay, like, this is kind of like my second career, and this is one where I see, like, long-term possibilities. Gotcha. And when you have, like, a long-term job, like, and also, like, I'm getting older, like, it's going to be, like, a lot harder for me to take a sabbatical. Right. And being a lawyer is a much more generalized profession than being a teacher, right? If you're a teacher, you're a teacher. If you're a lawyer, there's a variety of things you can do. Dude, how much do you miss getting the summers off? It's amazing. Uh, I mean, miss. That was like the saving grace of teaching, right? Like getting a week off for Thanksgiving, getting those two weeks off for Christmas. Absolutely. Like, I mean, we had a bunch of like... You know, teacher training, but you would get at least a month off in summer. Oh yeah, at least we would. We used to get a week off for Mardi Gras. Yeah, uh, and it's just like week, fall week break, off for spring break. Fall break a week, winter break two just weeks. Just like oh my god, day. just as you like think you're about to lose your mind, yeah. you would have like a little bit of a breathing room. Yeah. you know, like we and then you get the summer, it. and you're like, you know what? I can't do this again. Yeah, no, <laughs> and then you get all like psyched up. You're just like, yeah, yeah. like. I'm going to change everyone's lives, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, not so much. Right, but know. I kind of anticipated that I will not have those breaks. So I basically took a sabbatical. Oh, that's I took right. a year off between um, TFA and law school. And during that time, I never got to study abroad when I was in college. Because uh, I took two quarters off. Uh-huh. Um, oh, you told me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like whatever study abroad I would have done, I just like, I didn't. You just hung out in Chicago, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was like, you know, like I never got to have that experience. Like I would love to have that experience. So I took, I had taken like a year and some change of uh, Mandarin Chinese when I was in college. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to China and just take a semester of like 
Chinese classes and like just experience what that world is like. So I applied to, you know, like some language school uh, and I went and lived in China for like five, six months. And I traveled a bunch, met a bunch of people. And after that, I went to Korea and I like, spent like a month there, saw a lot, and spent a bunch of time with like my family that I don't really get to see. Um, and then, um, yeah, like I spent the summer kind of like spending some time at home with my parents that I hadn't done since basically high school. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I, I actually, after I finished, I stayed the summer term um, in New Orleans. So, I mean, like, there, that, that goes, there's a year right there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, and that and that was good. Like that year kind of gave me just kind of like freedom to just kind of reset, do whatever, experience new cultures, experience new things, learn some things. Um, Were you deciding of, what was next during that time too? I was applying to law school at the time. Okay, so you knew yeah. you were going to law school during that time. So basically, what I did was so after I gave notice. I stayed the summer term, uh, kind of like still helping out at the school and whatever. And then I moved back to San Diego probably the end of the summer. Um, and at the end of the summer, I studied for the LSAT, which is like the law school mm-hmm. exam. Um, and at the same time, um, I was applying to both uh, Programs in China and also to law schools. Gotcha. And at the same time, I was taking a couple of classes at the community college in by my parents. And Chinese. Chinese and another class because what am I going to do? Just like sit at home all day? Okay. I mean, I'm. I, I'm not I heard computer games are fun. I'm not good at them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I spent like three months going to community college, studying for the test, applying to Chinese programs, and applying to law schools. I took whatever is like the, the standard, I took the LSATs in like, I don't know, must have been in the winter time, sometime. Uh, and I sent in all of my applications, and then I left the country. Okay, uh, and, then and you're like, we'll see that. Yeah, and then my parents had to open every single one of the letters. So I got <laughs> like I didn't, like I was abroad, right. and all my acceptance or rejections were, were uh-huh. coming in. Um, yeah, so I sent the applications off, left the country, and I was in China for because at that point it's like there's nothing more I can do. Like yeah. I'm just gonna go like yeah. live my life, and I was abroad, so I must have gotten to China like. I don't know, in the winter, either December, January, and I was there for like a semester term. And in the spring, once that semester wrapped up, I traveled in China a little bit. Um, And then I went to Korea, spent like a month in the summer, and then I was home, and then I went to school. A year goes by very quick. Very quick. You're like trying to do a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was a, it was a, Great. Were you, ex- were you ex- by the time, 
so when you're wrapping up that trip, are you feeling like refreshed and excited for law school? Yeah, I mean, I think okay. so. I mean, I was like, I was pretty ready to right. just like, like for the what's for your next, next chapter. chapter. Yeah, you know, because yeah. it's like okay, like I got this travel bug out. Yeah, yeah, like, I I've yeah. kind of been like hanging out. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to class, but like, yeah, I mean, you know what teaching was like. So like, doing the teaching thing for two years and then becoming a student again was like, oh my god, yeah. like, oh. My god. Being a student is the best thing in the world. Yeah. You know? um, and it was like, wait, I get to do this for three more years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was it that same feeling going into law school? Like this is fun. This is. Yeah. You enjoyed law school. I loved law school. Yeah. But the law school was super fun. Yeah. That's the impression I always get from you, Lucas. Yeah. It's like maybe that first year was a little bit of a grind, but after that, it was, it was a good a good time. Yeah. But I mean, I, so when I went to law school, I didn't go in with like super big goals, uh-huh. honestly. Like I didn't go in thinking like, oh, I have to be the top of my class so that I could like clerk for the Supreme Court or like anything like that. Like law school for me cool. was kind of like a means to an end. And I just wanted to like. Getting a law degree, that was the end? Huh? The end like, was getting a law degree? That was... Th- or becoming a lawyer. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, right. like... Just generally. Right, like, um... I wanted to... Like, my goal through law school was basically, like... I want to be above average so that I could, like, get a job. Right. Um, but... Like uh, the prestige and whatever isn't like as important to me because my I went to law school thinking that I was gonna end up doing nonprofit uh, or like uh, you know like not law firm corporate work right. um, and usually in those circles it doesn't matter matter as much whether you you know whatever so. Um, I mean, obviously, I wanted to, but, like, I still wanted to be, like, above average or whatever. Right, just for your own personal... Right, just for my personal sanity. Um, And then my first quarter, I got burned. Like, my first quarter of law school was probably the worst grades I've ever gotten in my life. Oh, wow. Um... And I was, and then I like had a moment like, oh my god, like, am I this dumb? Am I gonna pass like, school? No, it's more, yeah, yes. I mean, I, I didn't really have concerns about graduating, but more like, is this what happens when I'm in the big leagues? Right, is this where I stack like, up yeah, against the big boys? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh wait, like, I thought I was smart, but is it that like once I'm in the big leagues, exactly, mm-hmm. like, this is all I am. Like, mm-hmm. am I just like bottom rung? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to know whether that is true. Mm-hmm. So the next semester, the next quarter, like I Hunkered studied down. and gotcha. I worked, and I got like two of the highest grades that I've gotten in law school. Mm-hmm. And once I did, was that a- re- really what that should have done? Is like, oh, I can do this. Like, I can be the top of the class. 
But instead, I was like, oh, oh okay. I'm not done. <laughs> like, okay, I can, like... Back go, to chilling. Like, I can go back now. <laughs> so, like, I literally... I know that feeling, dude. I feel the same way now. Because I, I have... I feel zero pressure as this nanny to, like, prove myself I'm to society. telling you and I are kind of the same. Because in my head, I'm like, no, I, you know... I have super smart friends. I have. I live with yeah. a bunch of Ivy League lawyers. I consider myself roughly in their same intellectual level. So, who needs all this like proving, like demonstration of actual? Who needs to fulfill their actual potential? Yeah. But like, <laughs> when I like, know I could be, you know, a yeah. high performing human. So I had that quarter when I was like, oh, like I literally could be the top of my class, and I was like. That was a that's, lot of work. That's going to require a lot of effort. Like, I, just, I don't know if I'm willing to do this every single quarter. Uh, and good... I was like, you know, like, I think I can now strike the balance between my first quarter performance and my second quarter performance and just maintain that. And that's what I did. That's kind of how I look at life. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wait. So I now know right. that if I do something in between, I'll be above average. That's but, good enough. You know, like, yeah, exactly. And I was like, for my purposes, that's plenty good enough. And I, like, had, and then I, like, partied in law school. At what point did your tr- did your thinking post-law school, and I'm sorry, I know I'm going to intentionally skip stuff here, but, you know, we're pushing along the podcast. At what point did your sh- thinking start shifting away from, you know, uh, public service work into where you are now? Was that part of, where did that come, is that a financial consideration in terms of the debt you started seeing yourself you were going to have post-law school? Is that part of your academic experience, part of your social experience, part of your political development? What, how did that, how did you transition into the career you're in now? Um, myriad of reasons. Um, of the ones that you mentioned, the first, uh, which was the financial, probably is the one that played uh, a big role of the ones that you mentioned. But also at play um, were um, just possibilities so let me kind of try to unpack that I think, yeah. um, so at the end of law, throughout law school uh, like I kind of straddled between like trying out like these private big law jobs and also uh, going and like working at a public defender's office like I did both um in my summer experience, and throughout law school, I worked at a legal clinic that worked with that worked on criminal justice issues. Because um, really, my goal uh, going into law school and kind of what I wanted to do, like after law school, was uh, and still like I still hold like hold out hope that this is eventually what I can end up doing, um, uh, which is working on juvenile criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of, in my mind, ultimately where I would like to end up because that's like the penultimate thing that culminates, you know, like all my prior experiences, right? Like basically, uh, you know, like I worked on education issues, um, you know, through my TFA experience. Worked on education issues is a very euphemistic way to put it. You are like some lobbyist. You literally like could not be more balls deep into education issues. But like on the other side of the coin is like obviously like policy stuff, like, you know, 
people like pushing these agendas, but also um, I got super interested in um, like basically the school to prison pipeline, you know, and like all, all those. New Orleans is a great place to see that too. Right, like all those. Uh, and that was very palpable to mm -hmm. me. And um, and like obviously that Chicago's a great place to see that as well. Oh, and, and also like over-criminalization of black Americans, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's something that I really saw firsthand. Um, and that's kind of what I intended to, to work on. And that's what I did work on, like, through law school, and I thought afterwards. Um, and again, like, I hope that, like, one day after this meandering path that I'm taking, that one day I will be able to work on that mm -hmm. cause, whatever form it ends up taking. But just but, to paint the picture, financial, because to me the biggest thing would be financial. Like you guys make good money and you've been working, you've been out of law school now for six years. Six years. And you're still not out of debt. No. So how could you? Like to me, it's like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> like dedicating your law efforts to, you know, social justice reform or whatever, but how is it even viable? So... I guess there's probably debt forgiveness programs. That would have been the But solution. then you have to sign up for, like, an, an extended period of working with no flexibility in your job. Yeah. So that was the part of the equation. So the financial part of the decision-making was the debt. Um, and you're right, like... The alternative would have been the debt, like the loan forgiveness program. Yeah, but then you're back into like military, basically. Then you're back into basically like TFA of a different form, but for longer. Correct. So, for the loan forgiveness program to, and I spent a lot of time looking at you did. Scenarios. It basically means that for ten years out of ten the, years for out of graduation. Um, you have to work in a public service organization. Your salary cap is at 80K. I mean, the truth is no public organization, doesn't matter how kind of advanced degree you have, it's gonna be pretty hard for you to get above, above 80K, 80K anyway. So like the salary cap is not really gonna be an issue, but that's signing up for 10, 10 years? years of- 80K, I mean, just in itself oh, is not- even not... 80K, but like 80K max. Um, and also, like, I so I had an opportunity uh, where there was a grant. Uh, they were starting a new grant, and they basically offered it to me. They said, um, we know you care about these issues. We would really like to give you this money to go, uh, like, you know, it was like 45K or like whatever it is. 60, 45 to 60, I forget exactly how much. Um, like a year's salary and we want you to be like the first recipient so that you could go like work on these issues but by the nature of this grant I would have to go to a public defender's office in the south somewhere so probably most likely Mississippi or like you know like places where there are really big no like blatant issues in the criminal justice system right. uh, and probably places with like 
active death penalty, like capital punishment issues, oh, yeah. you know? So like probably like Mississippi, maybe like go back to Louisiana or like one of those. Um, and then I kind of realized like, one, like financial is like a thing because at the end of law school, I was like $230,000 in debt. <laughs> $230,000 that I had to borrow I've probably never made that much money in my entire decade I mean, of by the way, existence. that's also the money that I borrowed from the US government and they were charging me 8% interest because <laughs> the government is fucking the worst you don't have to tell me like, you know, worst like insert noun, like I don't care what you call it but it's the worst um <laughs> like it's just like what was but then that's 40k for one 45 60k for one year it doesn't know your nullify your debt no that's my salary like, oh hey here's fifty thousand dollars to go be a lawyer in mississippi that doesn't yeah. sound like a great opportunity sorry right so like it's doable like i lived on less as a teacher as a teacher and whatever would be but you like still have my... thirty thousand dollars of debt so like the way the way that loan forgiveness works is like a kind of a complicated process where you still have to make the minimum right like income based pay payment. Chicago had a special program that was also that like if you um, combined it with the federal loan forgiveness program, eventually they would also like reimburse you for the uh, like the whatever yeah, the, the payment payments. the minimum yeah, yeah. payment that you're yeah, yeah. making so eventually like 10 years down the road you end up getting a free education 10 years down the road 10 years down the road right. but you have to be in that position for 10 years <laughs> correct yeah that's what i'm saying it's 10 and years and you can't like leave and that's then basically do something for 10 else years and like come back it's not like you know right. like you have to just continuously be in that situation no, for no, 10 no, years no, no. um yeah, yeah. and so I like looked at this possibility, and at this point I'm what like 28. Which okay, is so this is my next question, and I'm sorry to interject, yeah. but this is kind of like my final theme I want to touch on, and I'm going to use it as like our closing out theme as well. And I think you're about to say it. It's like you're 28. You also have to factor in the fact that you want to start a family. I'm assuming this is on your mind. That's a part of it, yeah. It's really an impossibility, right? I mean, you could do it, right? You could sign up for 10 years in this difficult job, but then you have to also have the financial resources to raise a family on that salary while staying in that job, potentially in Mississippi. And also, like, potentially put down roots in Mississippi. Exactly, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's where your child's going to go to school. That's where your child's first friends are going to be. That's where your child's going to grow up. Are, the, are you factoring these things into your decision making? Yes. Are you factoring family planning, marriage into this process? That's a part of it. That wasn't like the primary concern that I had at the time. Um, and at this time, you had just met your husband, who was your boyfriend had, at the time. Had, we had only been official for a very short time. And we, right. had been, we had known each other <laughs> for right. almost a year. Right. Um, but we had also had a conversation at this point that like post-graduation we were going to give it a try right you know like we have both had unsuccessful long distance relationships in the past and we weren't like 
super super optimistic but we also knew that like okay like this is something we should give it a give it a try yeah so we had had those conversations but so as you said like finances for sure because uh, even with the potential of playing into this loan forgiveness like all the limitations plus like the psychological pressure of being that much in debt and like somehow like what if the program falls through i mean they say that you get like grandfathered in but like i mean i don't trust the government with like anything right this so, is like, literally happening to my sister right now your husband lucas is helping my sister navigate the legal aspects yeah. of my sister signed up for a very similar program she signed up to get her doctorate to get paid for by the government to I think it's four years in her case, agrees to work in low-income community yeah. for four years, which she would do anyway. But then, you know, it's the government. There's been a total... Trump got elected during this, her acceptance, so that's changed the whole dynamic in the funding. And so now she's signed up what I consider like making a deal with the devil. You made a deal with the government. That's the devil. This is this is what happens. So, so, it's daunting. I was, so I was thinking about all that. I was like... If this program, if I'm like seven years in and like they pull this, pull the rug from under me, like then what? Then I'm going to be like 35 and living you imagine? in the city. And like, oh, by the way, here's your $200,000 debt back. Yeah, like, like what am I going to do? And like I'm way too risk averse to like take on that kind of a, I don't trust the government enough to take that kind of a risk. You know, so like financial for sure was a, a big part. And also like people were like, oh, if you're aggressive on your loans because of how much you get paid in big law, um, you could be debt free in two to three years. So I was like, oh, two to three years, like I'll do that, like no problem. Um, obviously there was a part about like, oh gosh, like am I ready to like put down roots in the South? Like, I don't think so. Like, I already did that, and I kind of, in a way, a little bit. You know, there's also, like, family planning. Like, is this going to be, like, a sustainable lifestyle? But also, the thing that I mentioned earlier is, like, the possibilities. So, I wanted to, because I wasn't exactly sure what I ended up, what I wanted to end up doing... I wanted to choose the option that was going to give me the most number of possibilities. Because gotcha. uh, my philosophy, when you don't know what you want, is to leave as many doors open as possible. And going into a big law a job was going to be the thing to leave as many doors open as possible. Right. Because from here, it's going to be hard, but I could have gone into, I guess still could like go into, you know, like, non-profit world. But if you you're going go to into, specifically like, okay, just sorry to interrupt, but if you're going into like, um, I don't know, uh, environmental protection on pollution of rivers. Yeah, like where can you go from And there? you do that for five years and it doesn't work out or you want to move on to something else, then it's like, you can't apply to your job now. I guess you could, but it's going to be difficult to get right. your foot in the door. You're now in pollution of rivers world. Yeah. <laughs> I get Okay, yeah. So um, that was another, that was a pretty big factor uh, when, when deciding. That's probably the biggest. Um, so it was a, com- obviously it was a combination of the possibilities and the finances. Um, but I also thought that like, 
I could put in my two to three years and be out. But here I am, I'm six years in. Uh, I'm still not that free, I'm really close though. Uh, like it's like really within reach. It's like enough that like, if we liquidated our like stocks and whatever, like I could be debt free. Right. Um, Lucas's Robin Hood account. Which we're not gonna do, you know. But like it's now within reach. And also like, <laughs> I've kind of like found some joy in this like ridiculous yeah. job. Because uh, I'm like finally at a point where I like kind of know how to do things now. Right. Yeah. Uh, and also during that time, like I started a family, and like my priorities have kind of changed. Totally. And like golden handcuffs are kind of a thing. Totally. You know, like can I take a four hundred percent pay cut? Because <laughs> that's what I would be taking. Yep. Like. What are y'all gonna have to keep the engine going? Or like I would, if I just wanted to go into public interest job that like I wanted to do, like I would literally be getting paid like twenty percent of what I make now. Don't do it. I'm out of a job if you do this. <laughs> <laughs> like so, like it's as much as I hate to be such a. I guess for lack of a better word like slave to this job like it's I mean it's real because life is real and adulthood is real and debt is real debt is children real children are real all of those things quarantine is real yes all of these things you know so like here I am like I can't just no longer are the days that I can say I Sue Park believe in this cause so therefore I will drop what I am doing and go do that. You don't have that luxury anymore. Like I don't. Like I can't. It would be incredibly irresponsible of me if I wanted to do that. Yep. Alright, I'm going to transition us to our last topic and you've got a good job bring us there. And I apologize <laughs> because there's a thousand other things I wanted to dive into deeper with you but that you, there's a lot. You're uh there's I've a lot to talk to you about. Life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Um, so. With many more years to come. That makes it sound like I'm like on my deathbed, like I've lived a full life. But <laughs> No, I, 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 I envision, I'm very excited for what your professional future holds. Obviously, I think you and Lucas are going to end up, one, especially once JoJo's settled and your child is settled, I think there's a, a, a future chapter that I'm excited to see what happens with y'all's uh, ab professional abilities. We'll see. Um, last topic here. You, so like you just said, your 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 reality has changed, and so your calculus oh must change. Your decision making must change. Primarily among them now, you have this little being, Jojo, twenty month old, in the background of the past two hour and a half of this episode, <laughs> destroying the audio quality of this episode, <laughs> and which is why I'm here for her, right? What do you want for her life? What I, not like? What job do you want her to become? Like what? Just generally speaking. What do you want out of her life? Uh, when I asked this question of Lucas, for instance, he answered it by saying, I want her, to, uh, basically it was just like, I want her to be, what was it, Lucas? Excitement and confidence, I think were his two like things he wants her daughter to be. I know that's that's super amorphous in general. You know, you could say, I want her to be a firefighter. I don't, I don't know, no. but what do you want for your daughter? 
It's something even more amorphous. <laughs> but it's the American dream, which is I want her life to be just a little better than mine. Okay. You had a really good life. Huh? You got that's a high bar. You went to private school in La Jolla. That's true. <laughs> but that's why I work the way that I yeah. do. Because I hope that I can do at least what my parents did for me. Right. Like, at least. You guys are at this interesting point where it's like, you guys, you and your husband have reached such a, such a, what I consider like, what's the word? It's not prestigious, powerful. I don't know. You guys are such high level humans. It's like you have this like bizarre flexibility that like you could truly customize her existence. This is one of the first conversations I had with Lucas and it, it certainly hasn't been resolved, but like this public school versus private school kind of debate about where Jojo's going to school, go to go to school. You certainly have the ability to send her to private school if you want, but it's like you're almost at this, you're at this very fortunate position where it's like we could, we really need to factor in her socialization. Like we... To me, like, her academic development is almost a given. She's going to be a smart kid. She's going to be a good student. It's like, we're beyond that. We're playing, like, real high-level chess here. We're playing 3D chess. Like, we want to give her an accurate uh, conception of what it means to be American. Exactly. (laughs) What is it to be a part of American society? Maybe the private school in La Jolla actually isn't what's best for her in the long run. Maybe it's the public school in Highland Park. That may be too far. Maybe a public school in Pasadena. You know, it's like, yeah, it's it's a complicated factor to... She has... She's a very lucky young lady. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, it's, it's like super amorphous, but... I mean, that's my overall goal but what is that like there's no objective way to say that like I said you went to private school in La Jolla so it's not like you can send her to private school on like I don't know Jupiter like it's how do you how do you give her what does that look like in your mind giving her um, however you put it a life that's a little better than yours so like hmm, the reason that I say is like even more amorphous is that like I don't necessarily think of as like in order for her to have a better life than mine and every step of the way in comparison to what I had it needs to be better. Right. It's like way more like you know, woo woo than that. Well that's what I'm thinking my next my next question is it does that mean like more love? Does that mean more hugs and kisses? than you got as a child. Does that mean more, you know, whatever, staycations, you know? What is, you know, that, it could be that, you know? I think it means to me, like, I hope that she grows up in a way where she doesn't feel limited in pursuing what she wants to pursue. So, like, not that, like, I felt super limited, like, growing up, but, like, 
you know, like there are certain experiences in, in my childhood that were very enriching, who, who, that shaped who I am. But there are a bunch of things that I didn't do. Like I never played like in, you know, little sports. leagues or like yeah. sports. Then like I don't think I, you know, from my birth was like a super unathletic person or like a uncoordinated person. I think I had wasn't. I grown up, you know, like playing soccer or like doing whatever from my young childhood like maybe I could have been a good athlete too but I never had the opportunity because that wasn't a part of my upbringing because I grew up in a city you know like Lucas talks about like his family was really poor when he was growing up like he didn't have all the opportunity like the same opportunities like they did a great job but like they were he had never even left the country until we started dating. Mm-hmm. Like, in law school. In law school. Like, he was, yeah. like, 25 when he left this country for the first time in his life. Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, so, in some ways, like, we had some limitations, like, in our like livelihoods. In very different ways, but in very different ways, yeah. right. And, like, my... The same word for self for her is that whatever it is that she wants to pursue, that she doesn't feel limited. Gotcha. You know? And, like, whether that means financial security for us, whether that means more love and support, whether that means, like, I don't know, traveling, staycation, like, whatever that means, like, I just want to be in a situation where I could provide those things. Whatever she wants to do. To say horseback riding lessons when she's in seventh grade. I mean, I'll push back on like, okay, if like some of the requests are ridiculous, like I'm gonna push back. Horseback riding lessons? That's ridiculous? Huh? Is horseback riding ridiculous? No, I mean, it's not ridiculous, but like horse girls are kind of a thing. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, 1000% know what you're talking but, like, about. Yeah, like I'll take your horseback riding, but like you can't be a horse girl. Like, that's not cool. <laughs> You know what I'm saying. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. But it's good. I'm glad you right. answered that. Okay, so what if like, you do have expectations that it's, it's your upbringing. It's, yeah, I guess. Because that's a limit. Yeah. That's a limit. Yeah, you're right. You can't be like... You can't be not a horse girl. She wants to be a horse girl. She's a horse girl. But you're right. Horse, horse girls are... You're right. I do have some limits. I'm sorry. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, like, I if a, she graduates a... high school... She graduates high school... With a 4.0 and, you know, 1,500 SAT score, but she decides, you know, she's going to move to Croatia to, uh, like... Oh, what's the reason? I don't know. She's super in... What is it with uh, Lucas's sisters? are super into, like, cheese or something? You know, if she's into, like, Croatian mountain goats, and she wants to move to Croatia because she loves the flora and fauna of Eastern Europe and... She's not going to necessarily get her PhD in Florida and Fauna. Yeah. She just wants to be around it. Yeah. Is that cool? You know? I mean, I'll push back. And, like, I... But push back because, like... I want to know that she's thought about it. Right. If she's, like... I want to, you know, go to Croatia because... I went there during college over spring break and I met a guy yeah, and right. like I kind of want to see where that takes me. I'll right. be like, what are you talking about? Right. But if she's like, that's the one place that has this particular whatever and that's like what I think I could want to spend the rest of my life studying, 
like I want to go like we're like not necessarily studying but like being around like I want to go experience it like uh-huh. okay like you have a reason like let's plan it out and like think about how you're gonna do this uh-huh. and like fine but like be responsible for your choices right do you have an expectation for um, having more questions pop up and yeah. I need to cover I mean, like, I here. do think that, like, I mean, I would be lying if I said I have no expectations of her with, like, hopes and dreams for her, but, like, and, you know, it's, like, easier said than done for me to be like, I just want to support her 100% no matter what stupid decision she has, yeah. you know, but, you know, like, my general vision is that, like, we could be supportive parents, right. you know. Will you ever? Do you ever envision? Um, once again, questions just pop in my head. What at what point does your support end? What do you mean? Okay, what so she's twenty five years old, and is like in and out of the basement, and uh, I don't know, being a waitress and stuff. Do you envision it? And I, I could never really envision y'all's child being this person. But at some point in your head, just theoretically, is there a time when childhood ends and the you must be one hundred percent. But I think what we must clarify is that I think there is a distinction between financial support and emotional support. Yeah. So. Um, I have an answer for the financial support portion, which is um, basically adulthood. What is that? Uh, when you leave my house the first time, like you're 18 or like you're through high school. And really what my parents did was they extended it to end of college. So they like, you know, they, they, my parents paid for my college education. So, are, do you plan on doing the same for Jojo? If Jojo goes to college, I would do that. Yeah. I don't know whether we can cover the full thing. Like, I just don't know where we're we'll, going to we'll be, be financially. Um, but you're going like, to make every effort. I'm going to make an effort that, like, we are financially uh, supportive through college. Gotcha. And that's kind of like basically four years post high school is your general end of financial support. Emotional support, do you ever envision a time where you're just like, Jojo, (laughs) can't talk to you anymore? (laughs) Like, what would it take? I don't know. Would you have to join like some like militant terrorist group or something? I don't know, because honestly, it's really hard to imagine. But like, I don't think, like, I think a lot of people who don't necessarily have good relationships with their families and who've had, like, a falling out, it's not like they ever intended for yeah. things to end up that way. Like, it's always, like, the completely unexpected things that that happen. Um, so it's hard for me to say, because obviously, sitting here now, like, I can't think of a reason, but I've also, like, seen enough families that fell apart yeah. over time to realize it's a possibility to realize that it's a possibility yeah sorry that was a sick twisted question no but I mean I think it's a it's an interesting question you know um, 
but like sitting here now like I can't think of like anything like say that like a lot of you know like people who have disagreements with their parents in, in my generation are uh, mostly related to like politics coming out you know, what if Georgia becomes some like um, rabid Republican? That's <laughs> that's like, it for you. Like, I can honestly, see it in your like, eyes. You're like, yeah, well. <laughs> like honestly, that's like the thing that came to my mind. Like immediately, I was like, if she comes home one day and she's like voting for Donald Trump you know what I mean? Like if she's like alt right, like you know, hanging out with like. Clansmen, like that's gonna be a problem. We're gonna have to have a talk. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's really not. I'm I'm sorry. Like that. No, that's not cool. Like, I don't know if I can find love in my heart to accept that. Like, that's like really not okay. Will you be disappointed if she doesn't go to college? Or she doesn't pursue and or pursue a traditional professional path. Mm. Are you prepared for that? I'm not prepared for it. And if I said uh, that I am, it's it would be because, like, in my heart of hearts, I don't think it's going to happen. You don't think what's going to happen? That, like, that's a possibility. Uh. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going to let that happen. Like, uh, no, but it's it's not like my parents told me that I had to go to college. But... They certainly created an ambiance where right. that seemed like the logical path. But then, like, look at how my brother turned out. Like, he didn't want to go to college right afterwards. Yeah. So I know it's not just, like, the ambiance yep. that you create or, like, the morals that you, like, impart on someone. And you also just don't know what College is, like, sometimes not for everyone. And, I mean, he ended up going to college anyway in the end. He just took forever. Right. Um, also, she's being born into... A rapidly changing world. I don't know what college is going to look like 16, exactly. 16 years from now. Exactly. I really don't. No. Um, and especially post-COVID. That's certainly going to change, you know. I don't think this four-year moving, like, four-year summer camp, basically, where you, like, leave the home and go off to some distant locale... <laughs> And live in an isolated, not isolated environment, but you know what I mean, in a, in a separate specific location for studying for four years, this specific four year experience, separate from the rest of your life. I don't know if that's going to be around for much longer. It was kind of. It's a, awesome, don't get me wrong. It, I think it it's was a, a really. It's a very. Almost like a necessary step to my adulthood, though, you know? Like, I think it was for all of us. Being away from home and like experiencing a lot of firsts you know like so many firsts mm -hmm. it's but it's not the only way to experience those things and I just don't think it's going to make sense logistically financially delivery of academic content efficiently anymore to just pack everything up move to a separate location pay for all I don't know maybe it'll maybe it will I, just, I think it's going to change very rapidly. I know, but how much of the romance? Like you can't forget about the romance of college. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a... Yeah. It's a great way, and it's almost, like, I think, I kind of a purely American thing, the way we, not college itself, or university study itself, but the way we do it traditionally in America, 
graduate at 18, move off and become an adult, living away from your parents for the first I mean, time. I think it's it a cool, cool way to transition into adulthood. I forget which part of the world does this, but you know, I think there are some parts of the world where the norm is for people to take a sabbatical between high school and college. You're talking about the Amish? Huh? No, um... Yeah, I, I forget where it That's... is, but like, you know, basically at like 18, 19, for you to like kind of try experience Adult life. life, you know. I think like that's honestly the better way to or, do like, it. Do whatever and then go to college. And I think that's uh, a really cool experience. Yeah, that's what I wish I would have done. A year off to travel, but some sort of structure to it. Like what you did in China, basically. Yeah. Taking, going to a foreign country, taking a language class, something to keep you kind of grounded and focused, not just you know, a leaf in the wind, but a year away to reflect on like, oh, this is what it means to not live with my parents. Oh, how does that influence what I want to do next? Going straight from living in your parents' house, straight into, oh, now I'm deciding what I want to do for the rest of my life is a little much. Yeah. It's a little rapid. All right, this is going to be the longest podcast I've ever recorded, and I feel like I touched on 50% of what I wanted to touch on. I know, right? But the good news is, uh, we live together, so. That's true. We can, we, we can do this anytime. That's true. But that I, do true. Wanna, I do want to marinate that chicken now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Supark, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for joining me. It's 5 o'clock and needs to marinate for like an hour. So, you know, right. reality hits. <laughs> reality Good. comes at you fast. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>